following podcast is work safe. Doing there, stink. Playing the pinball. Uh huh. Open mic, stink. Let's wrap it up here. Come on. What's that hussy doing here? What? It's just an innocent version of pinball. No, it's the machine bridal pinball with that hussy's photo plastered all over it. Oh, come on, sweetie. I can see if I was playing xenon or something. When have you ever made me feel like a woman? I'm out of here. Nice going there, Stink. You're the one that put the table in here. All right, all right. Uh, Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 69 of We Talk Games. It turns out that the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, as you know them, Wetgack Flipkleys, has decided to lump every volume of We Talk Games, including our Bobble episodes, into one large sum, starting from zero and now counting to 68 episodes before us, with gaming goodness since 2006. I am your host, Wiggly. T.T. Schmootkins has just left. In the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. Sitting to my right on the 1913 high chair, Stinky the Game Master, Stinky. What'd I do? Yeah, robots are temperamental, especially pregnant robots. Now, expanding on the subplots of our past episodes of We Talk Games, there's always been an undertone. We've been talking a lot about Gaming Universe B, a gaming universe that developed on a separate technological timeline. Some aspects of the gaming world change while others remain the same. And also some retro nouveau, or I guess retrovaux. And another tie-in to subplots and areas of our attention A special guest that was in our We Talk Games queue, unfortunately, has passed away. Jerry Lawson, the creator of the Fairchild Channel F, has went on to visit Prince Serki at the age of 70. And although the Fairchild Channel F is often our punchline, it is one of my most cherished systems and a system that I worked hard to obtain. It's also wonderful to know that there were several Atari 2600 games that Jerry Lawson had designed that are now available for sale at Digital Press. They recently found these, and uh, his was a story that we would have loved to explore in We Talk Games, unfortunately. uh, Hey! Yes, Stink? I'll tell you what. That Fairchild F was so good. How's that? Well, I remember when the Fairchild Channel F came out. Boy, oh boy, it was such a step up from the Ugly Kid Station E. <laughs> it took me a little while to process there. It's, it's one of those that deserves a hand clap instead of the laughing out loud there, Stink. Oh, I just thought I'd try to cheer you up with one of my zingers. Hey. Yeah? What would happen if you dropped a Nintendo 3DS off the Empire State Building? I don't know what. Who would do such a thing? Uh, it, it's working, Stink. It's working. Don't worry. You don't, you don't need to try anymore. And that brings up another thing. Of course, we'll be talking about the great launch of the Nintendo 3DS. Hey, wait. I got one more. What does the F 
and Fairchild Channel F stand for? I don't know what. Well, I guess we'll never be able to ask the crew. All right! Uh, he, he starts out... I, I know you're well-intentioned, Steve, but let's get going with this show. We got a big, big show. Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, Eric Alex, and Tupai R will all be on to talk games with us. And once again, the We Talk Game Council of Video Game Millionaires will be discussing Gaming Universe B, where it's overlapped with Gaming Universe A, where it's gone right, and where it's gone wrong. And where we'd like to see it go. And speaking of go, let's not start. Let, let's go! Open it up, Keith, for Kyle Von Kubik. Kyle Von Cubo! Crap, we're peeking like like the Dickens. Kyle Von Cubo! Holy Christ, wait a second. Kyle Von Kubik, go! Oh, mommy, yes. It's another episode of We Talk Games. It is, and uh, today we're going to be revisiting a lot of things. But first, of course, let's get it out of the way. What games for the Nintendo 3DS have you been playing lately? A ton. Yeah? Yeah, I played all those games that were originally on the 64 that are coming back. I see. And I've played with cards before, too. So You've played with cards. I think I'm uh, very apt in uh, reviewing as well as analyzing this uh, $250 console. But how are they on or the 3DS? Up, yes. How are they on how there? How are they what? How are they on the 3DS? Good? I, I wouldn't know. I don't have one. Oh, I see. But, you- but I have played Ocarina of Time, and I have played with a deck of cards. Yeah, that's my favorite is cards. I like cards. Solitaire, bridge. But what what about Pinochle, not so much. What about submarine hunting? Oh, I heard about this game. Submarine hunting very hot now. Hot new gaming Huge. trend. With Hunt for Red October in theaters, it's just blowing up. Play with your super scope. Everybody wants to hunt for the submarines. But you know, I think it's adorable though because there's portions in the game where you hold the uh, 3DS like a uh, a periscope oh, you do? to your face. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. you don't dunk your face in the handheld. You but do you see through play. the cameras? Uh, no, well, oh. it's the... Yeah, you it's look through a periscope, I guess. Yeah, it's like, it's adorable. You're looking through a little uh, periscope. I see. Oh, I used to have one of those cardboard periscopes with mirrors, and then you peek over the fence at your uh, neighbor's older sister sunbathing. Yes, of course. That's that's one of my favorite games. I wish they had that that you could play. You only play with yourself with that one. Well, now, speaking of my favorite games. Speaking of massages. Yes. Hey, you know, I, I've been enjoying my Galactic Pinball, uh, Jack Brothers. Who really has? Like, those are some of my favorite. Mario Clash. Yeah. And uh, surprisingly, Waterworld. Very good Waterworld game. 3DS is very good. It, it's, huh? like a, it's like a Defender with a bad movie license in it telero boxer also kind of fun for the first few minutes yeah. nestor's funky bowling love that heard that one was but, good uh, how about yeah. wario world i heard that was good as wario well land. on 3ds wario land yeah a wario land don't like don't that. play it too long though i heard it could hurt your eyes you, you got to take a break every now now and again that's what i've heard panic bomber also was a good one and golf and I think I've named almost all of them. Tetris, of course. Collect them all. Um, Jack Brothers. I, I mentioned that. Uh, Panic Bomber. Red Alarm. Vertical Force. Red Alarm. That's funny. And, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> it's funny. And virtual league baseball. And, of course, it comes with te- uh, tennis. Right. Unusual. They have a pack in now. So that's why I heard all that rustling around in the back for all those punch Yeah, lines. that's my big joke. I don't have one either. <laughs> what have I been playing? Yeah, let's find I- out about that. Not much. Oh. I'm sorry. What, what no, I've systems? Been things. I've been playing a lot of uh, downloadable content on the uh, PlayStation 3. I uh, jumped into the Back to the Future adventure games. I'm a couple episodes in at this point. Okay. Now, I have this uh, on Steam, but I don't know okay. what happens on here. Uh, Steam? Mm. Well, that's when you boil water. Well, both. And then the papers. <laughs> both Steam and the games I've bought through Steam. Gotcha. Yeah, I. I've, you you buy them, you download them, and then you forget that you have that application. But your bank account slowly drains away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been playing the Back to the Future Adventure games, and I got to tell you, the presentation is very nice. The voice acting is awesome. The the, the kid that they got to do Michael J. J. Fox's role is spot on Great. with his impression. Doc Brown is back uh, as well, reprising that role. Um, oh, that's really? his real name, Doc Brown. It is. Yeah. <laughs> What about the he Libyans? Ta- he was on Taxi as Doc Brown as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was. And uh, I guess the Libyans are kind of relevant now. Why not? They, uh, you know what? They they kick up some dust every 10 years, so they don't go out of style. No. Libyan ter- <laughs> They're always popular with the kids. Big shout out to all the Libyan terrorists listening right now. So the presentation's nice. The voice acting is great. The story, hey, you know, if you dug that, those, you know, those movies, particularly the first two, yeah. uh, like I did, you'll enjoy the game because it's it's more uh, of what you, that's a fun universe, that's a fun world, time traveling is always a fun theme, mm-hmm. and those movies were always fun, and they definitely have a lot of nods to the movies, so the story's good, but I found that the, the puzzles were very easy, the worlds felt very contrived and small, it's just not hitting the same notes as I've, I have I wanted it to hit with an adventure game. I had the same feelings when I was playing uh, Sam and Max those months ago, but I'm a huge fan of Sam and Max, so a lot of those things were forgivable. And what the Sam and Max games did that were different was that each time they had a new episode, it took a different film style. And it took, you know, a different location where the first two episodes happened in the same location. So it felt a little redundant. The next episode uh, has a little change up. So maybe I'll feel better when the th- of course I bought all of them at once because yeah. I'm a sucker. I bought all of them at once. Sure. Uh, so I'll be playing through all of them. But um, the first two episodes took, you know, they had the same setting. They were in the same place. The puzzles were really easy. I really felt like it was more of a quick time event than it was an adventure game. A big thing about adventure games is the challenge. And there's, I, I didn't even know this because I breezed through the game, but on showing uh, my fiance the game just to, so she could hear some of the voice acting, I realized that there was hints and hints in an adventure game to me kind of takes the piss out of it because a lot of the challenge of those games, you only play these games once. So right. a lot of the challenge of the game is trying to figure out puzzles. Yeah. So it was twofold. So the puzzles being too easy makes you breeze through that episode. So that feels cheap. And the other thing is, even if I had some difficulty, I could just look at some hints. Like, it just, mm-hmm. to me, you're uh, devaluing the game. And I understand, you know, they're budget titles, they're episodic, but you can still make them challenging and uh, let people get their money's worth, even with the uh, the limited stage and the limited puzzles. Do you think that they developed these to try to be like an introduction to point? They could have. It, it definitely had a mystic quest uh, feel about it, <laughs> how easy it was. Okay. 
speaking of mystic and mist, I, I just found my mist 30 year anniversary or whatever it was. And it's, nice. the box is like, I don't know, 18 pounds. And, hey, I you heard know, you can get like $3 for that on eBay. No, no, this is for the, I don't know if it's collectors. Oh, you know what? It missed three exile and it came with like a statue. I'm just right underneath. Are my, you still there? Hello? Yeah, right underneath my Maxsoft Falcon four, uh, okay. which is a hot title. But this came, this exile came with mystery exile adventure game. Uh, mm -hmm. And it had a, a, the strategy guide. It had a yeah. little one-of-a-kind pewter squee collectible. Plus, you had the original what? soundtrack. <laughs> yep. And you had a CD-ROM, the making of mystery. And the game itself was on four CDs. And the box, right. like I said, weighs like uh, 118 pounds. Okay. And how, how many times oh, did you It just went it? through the floor. Sorry. <laughs> oh, now I got, I'm looking down at Chiz. She's taking a bath in the sink. Very nice. Now, wh uh, was that it with your uh, Mystic Quest uh, to the future? Yeah, I mean, I guess, yes, it, you could take the approach of it as it was trying to be light uh, with the gloves because there might be some other people where this is their first adventure game. But Telltale games in general seem to be relatively easy. They're definitely not what you're used to with LucasArts and certainly not with Sierra. Sierra's adventure games were uh, some of the most brutal <laughs> adventure games I've ever played. Yeah. Uh, particularly because, you know, point-and-click adventures, your character dying, it took me back. You know, because I, I first started with those LucasArts games where, you know, the, the challenge was figuring out the puzzles. Uh, you didn't have to worry about something, you know, popping you in the head or a monster grabbing you or things like this. Stacking was a great example of an adventure game that hits all those notes of yesteryear but integrates some new, you know, newer uh, experiences that you come from contemporary games. So that's definitely a better package. I think an adventure game fan would definitely have more fun playing a game like Stacking than they would some of these t Telltale titles. But I really like the company. I like those people. So I don't mind shelling out the money for them, even though six months from now, they'll probably give all these episodes for free. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like they did with Sam and Max. Hey, that but speaking of stacking, real quick, I played the uh, expansion to that, which is the Lost Hobo King. Oh, great. And um, let me tell you something. That was much more challenging <laughs> than the base game itself. Uh, what I liked about the base game, the puzzles had three solutions. So all the puzzles had three solutions. And one was pretty intuitive. And then the other two, it, it, was, it was almost like, you know, my brain works different than your brain. And you might come up with a solution different from mine. Mm -hmm. And chances are both of our solutions would be in there. Mm -hmm. And then the third one would be a little more challenging. And sometimes there were five solutions. So that was cool. So I kind of breezed through stacking because there was that there was never a solution that was like all three solutions were counterintuitive. So I didn't get hung up on any puzzles, but I definitely wanted to find all four solutions to the puzzle. OK, you know, so that, there was definitely replay value. Now, Lost Hobo King was a different story. The puzzles, all of them have up to th uh, up to five minimum of three solutions to every puzzle. And none of them were intuitive to me. A lot of them were very counterintuitive where I was like, well, how would I figure that out? Again, the, the hint system comes into play, but there's um, dolls that you stack into that help you in the game that have the ability to, um, this, they're called creepy stare and things like this. But basically what it does is the doll looks around and highlights other dolls that have special abilities that might help you in that mission. Mm -hmm. So I, I because I, I don't like using those hint systems at all because I'm not a wuss. So it was definitely much, much more challenging. It was short. 
which was to be expected. It's about the length of there's, you know, there's those four stages in stacking. It's about the length of one of those stages to complete, but a nice little story. And definitely, uh, like I said, after uh, stacking was over, I was like, man, I, I really wish there was more of this game to play. Well, now there is, and it was a lot of fun and I definitely recommend it. And I got stacking for free. So for $5 DLC, it was a no brainer. Right on, man. Hey, you know, today, not only are we going to be talking about the Nintendo 3DS and all the games that no one's played since I don't think anyone probably owns that yet, but I will still plug on with that joke throughout. Uh, We're also going to be revisiting some things like addendums, not addendums, but additionals. Additionums. Additionums. uh, Exactly. And also some more exploration down the alternate video game technology development timeline gaming universe b exactly all right professor peabody let's go well first thing i want to mention is uh, now it uh, it all clicked with me when you brought up that marble thing corona oh yeah the uh actually it's funny i have it right here it's a marble mania marble mania Karori, Karope, Karo, Marble Mania. Marble Mania. Well, remember when Marble Saga, which was uh, the sequel to this, came out? That was the one where you could also play it by stepping on the balance board. I do not remember this. Well, I remember it, and uh, okay. and you know, because actually, Marble Ma- Mania is actually a little bit hard to find right now. Is it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, just showing the uh, the long arm of power that comes from We Talk Games. I talk about it, and people just going out and snatching it up right after our show aired. Gone. It's like you know seventy five dollars on Amazon or something. But you you probably can find it. it it's in- at Rondo of Blood Value right now. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, I think that came down actually. Yeah, but that was Mar- that Marble Saga a sequel. Uh, you use the balance board. I'm still peeking. Okay. This one isn't so much a time portal trip down Gaming Universe B as much as it is an epic game that you just recently found out about, although it's brand new. And uh, finally, we're going to talk about a game from the Mac App Store. If you are, if you're fortunate enough to have a newer Mac, you you need to have an Intel Mac now. Let's face it, or else you're going to be waiting a long time to do anything. If it don't inv- be a noob. If it involves video or audio, you're going to be suffering might as well go out and buy a four track recorder at this point (laughs) so but the app store is is a new feature it's a a relatively new feature that they brought out which is sort of like a preview that's going to come out which is going to be more like the ios interface for your entire you know mac experience if you so choose so this app store uh goes right in your dock and just like the app stores for our ios's you can buy games and applications and it gets a lot more pricey because you're actually buying full versions of applications like you could buy 50 dollars applications 100 dollars applications bento you know 50 bucks okay um you know, so it's not the 99 cent store here's a wine applications 50 bucks but there's also free (laughs) free things and there are also 99 cent games a dollar 99 games and this is a game quick quick question yes are there 60 dollar fart apps on that store (laughs) you know you could corner the market on that i think um i know there's a lot of sound boards there's uh there's some video applications that make it fun and easy, but you you might have the market on I think the. I uh, found my golden ticket. <laughs> very expensive fart generators. Uh, <laughs> it's probably untapped there. And there well, didn't be- someone do a, uh, a way back when the App Store first kicked off? There was like the million dollar app, and the app just said you're a millionaire. 
It was some some gimmick like that. I remember reading about this when the App Store first came out. I digress. Keep going. No, you know you're right on. You're right on target with some of that. There's this one farming type game that I saw in the App Store, and right. it's from Taiwan or someplace. I don't exactly remember what Asian country, but it was like uh, eighty dollars. Or something. Wow. Yeah, or eighty or ninety dollars. Well, I so much. Are you and, buying a farm in Thailand? <laughs> you might be, but I <laughs> saw the same game for for free, but okay. it wasn't in English. So I think what happened there is when they translated to English, somebody moved some decimal points around. <laughs> and there it sounds were, like it. And you know, this is like a wee farm. This is like a Farmville type of game. This was an, supposed to be a 99 cent game. I think somebody made a mistake, like I said, in translation, but there were people that actually bought it at this high price and wow. they're like this game stinks <laughs> you know <laughs> i pay, i pay, who now number one why are you gonna pay for one of i don't these know somebody farming? must be a really big fan of those virtual farms and they're like this must be the greatest farm game ever well, that's what they thought and you know it's not it's it's like cardboard cutouts uh, uh you know looking it's like playing a south park version of a farming game and and these people have paid these hundred and it wasn't just one person and and wow. then and then the one person that bought it for a hundred dollars like eh, it's not too bad it's actually he's trying to justify and, and hey, uh, i gotta tell you and I, I might be generalizing but people uh largely are pretty stupid and buy into stupid things very often how do you even have that money us. though I have no idea. Well, I mean, credit cards. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that is a tremendous side story, but I just thought I'd bring That's it up. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's yeah. very fun. Because, I, I, like I said, I, I was looking and I found the same game for free, except that it wasn't translated, and it, it was free. Uh, I mean, it's bad enough you're playing it on Facebook for free and sending your friends bricks every 10 seconds, but to drop down $80 to do it <laughs> yeah. is downright pathetic it, it was it was unbelievable but the game that i want to talk about for the that is available in your mac app store and I, you might you might no it doesn't it, it's it was somewhere between 99 cents and a dollar 99 cent but it's definitely a must have if you're new to the app store or you've never downloaded anything if you want a game this is a great time waster and like mm. i said it's straight out of the 8-bit age it's called the incident and the company that created it is called the big bucket okay you're a businessman you're standing in front of a cityscape and Initially, future levels will take place in other locations like a mountain range, uh, the sky, upper atmosphere, outer space, and things like this. Pixel art, pixel music, single screen wide, and the game board then moves up vertically. It's a run and jump action style game. You dodge objects that fall from the top of the screen. There will be like flashing lighted segments at the top of the screen indicating where the objects will fall from and the width of the flashing indicator will be the width of whatever the object that's going to fall. So you have to try to get out of the way uh, real quick. And as these objects pile up and pile up, you're trying to work your way to the top of the these this uh, stuff heap. Okay. Um, the objects falling are like cars, traffic signs, soda machines, tubas. So it's got a trash panic type of feel about it? Well, I'll get to that. Yeah, tubas, picket fences, traffic lights, which are still operable, atomic bombs, crates, teddy bears, giant drill bits, and just a whole smorgasbord of odd objects. So many objects, so many objects, so many great objects as well. And uh, so many that will bring a smile to your face, if not make you a full out lulls. 
And as your dodge items breathe, they, they pile up and your goal is to reach a designated height. And there's also um, checkpoints. And so you break the ribbon on some checkpoints and then you can start from there if you happen to get squashed. You, uh, you also collect extra point balloons and then there's these bonus point gems during each round, which I believe are mm-hmm. your life meters. But I, I, I can't be sure if that's what I think that's what relates to it. Did, uh, did you ever play Tetris? Uh, I believe it's just Tetris. Maybe it was Tetris Plus or something like that on the PlayStation. Mm, where there, no. it, the uh, the whole gimmick about it was while you were playing Tetris, there was this little archaeologist okay. who would be moving out of the way of the blocks, and you didn't want to crush him. Ah. It, you didn't control him, right. but he was definitely like an obstacle in the way as you were playing. And then, of course, in the background, there was like, uh, you know, some sort of Egyptian theme going on or a jungle or something like mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what it's sounding like to me. But I'm actually looking at it right now on my handy dandy iPad. Yeah. And uh, new TV mode. How does this work? Uh, you know, you can evidently magic. play this on your TV. Yeah, you, you know how the. I, I'm not sure if it needs Apple TV or if it, if it hooks up through the AV jacks that you have. Uh, right. Some people are confused about it as well. I don't really know too much about this. I'm talking about playing it on your computer, number one. But you, oh, you okay. brought it up. It is also available on the iOS. Uh, the right, music, for uh, buck ninety nine. Dollar ninety nine. However, it uses the tilt and tap control so you tilt to the left or right to dodge the objects and then you tap to jump Uh, you can also use your ipod iphone as a controller which i always love that uh, capability i tried that but it's still the same tilt it's still the same tilt to move left right and tap the button to jump but it's getting some heat on the uh the iStore reviews well which are also they're very saying accurate. they're saying that <laughs> they're saying that it's, <laughs> it's too difficult well you know here's most of the one star reviews game doesn't launch <laughs> you know, reboot Stinky? your reboot your reboot your iPad you know what I mean come on yeah come on yeah. close out the 150 applications you have running because you don't know stop that the, looking at porn on your iPad and it's what it is it's what it is it's that cached uh, your your cached cookies as so to speak um, I'm sorry keep going you you can use your iPod to control control the screen and I always love that but like I said it's it's a tilt tilt left to right also using the iPod but it works I, I found it to work better uh, easier that way and what's interesting about it is on the little iPod screen the main character will be snoozing on a couch and he has a dream bubble coming out of his head and inside the dream bubble will appear the next object that's going to be falling from the sky so you'll be able to see oh, okay. oh it's a giant bureau or it's a taxi or something like this so like it's, trash panic where it would show you what objects but unlike trash panic yeah it actually gave me the satisfaction that i thought i was going to get from trash panic yeah in this game (laughs) this this was much this really gave me that stacking trash garbage satisfaction because it's an action game so you're you're quite involved and you're dodging out of the way of these objects and you're laughing at at some of these uh, odd things and number one if you want mac people to love a game you got to throw some Macs in there. So there's a, there's a Power Mac, you know, professional model, and there's also an iMac and things like that. So uh, all good, good, great stuff. And believe me, I'm not spoiling anything because there's so many items. 
the music sounds like it's straight out of Alien Crush, and I wouldn't consider mm. chiptune music or anything like that because it sounds like a vintage in-game song. It sounds like a real, you know, it doesn't sound like, you know, chiptunes are sort of like, sort of have, have... Let's face it, it's just a Casio keyboard with some Game Boy bleeps and bloops in the background. Well, sometimes, but I mean... It, it, I just insulted a bunch of people. That's all right. I doubt any chiptuners listen. But, you know, nah. a lot of chiptunes are just have have modern sensibilities with bleeps and bloops or you know authentic like our buddies bulletproof monk uh what are they called like our buddies at 8-bit weapon they actually use the chipsets of the nes or the game boy uh or the uh, intellivision and things like this but they're making music with a more modern sensibility this this is outside the restrictions of the hardware so they don't have to loop after how many ever notes because of memory or things like that sure sure this whole game is it's not retro new gen it's it's an 8-bit game time display yeah i really like the art style yeah. i mean it's, it's, it's awesome. definitely 8-bit maybe more colors than your traditional 8-bit system yeah, but a little bit yeah we like this retro style i mean we've we're seeing it a lot now uh super meat boys another example of that retro art style but mm-hmm. that's not really an 8-bit game that's just a, a style or motif right exactly. but this definitely looks like something that you play on like a tg16 or exactly. or uh, that's a perfect that's a perfect system that this would be on yeah and it, you know a lot of subtle coolness as well on the mac even even the uh the os 10 little window that comes out has a pixelated red yellow and green buttons you know minimize maximize and close buttons cool. And on your iOS, your, your battery level indicator will turn 8-bit. So a lot oh, cool. of neat little subtleties that uh, that really put this game out ahead of it. And, you know, it, yeah, it is difficult on, on the uh, the iOS with the, with the tilt controls, but I think they realize that the digipad just stinks, you know? Sure. Now, I think that they could do this with pressing left or right at the bottom and then maybe the top to jump. I, I'm not sure, but um, who knows what will happen with future updates. You want to stick in uh, Gaming Universe B? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's talk about forget.me.not. I'm not going to because you're a fantastic game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we this is this is definitely a title that developed along an alternative gaming universe and uh, we actually were tipped tipped to this through uh, what our a new user on We Talk Games. On We Talk Games, yeah. Reason MPW. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Right on. SS uh WTG. He starts describing this game. He's saying Eugene Jarvis and Rogue Centipede, uh, Pac-Man. He's he's just he's putting all these flavors into a pot, and I'm like, there's no way right. that this stew could taste as good as he's saying it tastes. And I downloaded it. Well, no, I looked at it. I just looked at it, and I was like, you know what? He endorsed it. It sounds like something I'm gonna love. So uh, I picked it up. And I was not disappointed at all. And it really is a very difficult game to, to describe. So I'm hoping you can help me out with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a shooting Pac-Man to begin with. That's what you to get. To begin with, yes, it's a shooting Pac-Man where you're you're constantly shooting, perpetually. Yep. And much like uh, Pac-Man, where you can go from one end of the maze to the other, you know, you, you go to the right and you pop out in the left, um, your bullets do the same, and you don't want to shoot yourself in the back. <laughs> right. That's and just a life lesson right there. That's why you got to get the key behind you. It helps block the bullets. So you get bullets. a key. Yeah, and of course, every great uh, classic arcade game has a key. Yeah. Except like for those that don't. Right. Uh, and you use that as a shield to protect your back. And then there's all sorts of these little minions that pop up who want to steal your key, a la that annoying bat from uh, Adventure for the Atari 2600, right. or amongst e- other games. And even like, some of it feels a little like Rally X as well. 
Definitely feels like Rally X in some portions. Uh, you are collecting or gobbling up these, uh, I guess they're flowers. In fact, yes, I, I believe the, the game itself calls them flowers. And then once you gobble them up, something that looks like a bomb uh, will show up on the screen. But I, I rest assured, <laughs> after playing the same screen for a while, I found out it was not a bomb, but in fact a keyhole. So yeah, bring the portal. key over there and yeah. go to the next level. And Mittner-esque type of uh, transitions and effects. In fact, I thought uh, Reason MPW said Mittner in his review, which really sold me on this game. Right. And then I realized he actually, when I just reread it, he didn't say Mittner. But Mittner should be thrown in that stew as well because there's definitely a heavy Mittner flavor uh, in this game. Uh, what's really cool is as you progress, you're seeing more and more nods to these other games of uh, that classic arcade era. Mm -hmm. um, there's one portion in the game where it says Run Away. And then there's this beast with wings that like is a happy face with wings that flies at you and you don't want to get touched by it, a la Sinistar, a la Otto from Berserk. Right. Um, a centipede shows up and in very much the same way as centipede from the game. It's a lot of greatness mm -hmm. in one small package. I believe it's a buck ninety nine, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and this company also came out with another title that we both uh, took a shot at as well. It's right, shit. and that is um, Magnetic Shave Day or something like that. Hold Magnet on, I'll tell you shave. Yeah, What was that? MSD, which I believe stands for Magnetic Shaving Day. Yeah. <laughs> I could be completely wrong. Um, so basically this, um, what, what, was the, what was the name of the magnetic guy that you used the magnetic dust to make a beard on his face? Was it Willy Wooly or something like this? Yeah, Willy Wooly, Wooly Wooly Wooly. Wooly Willy. So his face is on the screen or something very similar in an 8-bit fashion. And you have a little magnet that you guide with your finger to guide a straight-edge razor around his face. So you're, you want to shave off his hair on the top of his head yeah. as well as his beard and mustache. All the while uh, avoiding his eyeballs, nose, and lips. Yeah. Um, and it's all about how fast you can do it. And if you do end up cutting him, it adds uh, seconds to your time. And Squirts you blood, get... and then it makes him cry, and then his tears cries, make more beard grow. Right. <laughs> or his beard will grow from the tears, which, yeah. I mean, that's just science. Yes. And the tears, if they hit the razor blade, will spin it out of control, which right. sometimes works in your favor. Right. It, you know, cuts down more surface area. There's also, like, little... Um, power-ups i guess they're not really power-ups they're more of screw you moments where um you'll hit them and it will change the polarity of your magnet yeah. so it's pushing the magnet away at a great force i've like sliced this guy's eyes open numerous times during this game but luckily it's nothing that's grotesque or, or uh, gory it's very cutesy it's 8-bitty it's in the same vein of this gaming universe B. It's a lot of fun. And, it, it, I mean, this type of game it just completely makes sense on the device. Right. Because right. I can't see playing this game in any other way. No. Nyerlu Lab Studio, which is... That's uh, them. They really need to change that. Nyerlub Labs. <laughs> yeah. Say, speaking of uh, taking some things, and Namco especially, uh, we oh. saw two two new uh, titles show up in the Namco studio. Uh, Coop in the Namco yeah. stable here. Uh, Pac-Man BR Battle Royale. Namco yes. released Nam Namco released Pac-Man Battle Royale, which is a game that I've been talking about, being very excited about when it comes to the arcade. Finally, if you don't know what this is, it's four-player Pac-Man in the arcade. If you don't know what this is in the arcade, it's four-player Pac-Man. Uh, it's on a tabletop, except that now if you don't know what an arcade is, it's a room <laughs> with a bunch of games in it and. 
right you know smelly people and this is a this is takes place i'm actually it's businessman now and uh 30 somethings uh this takes place on a tabletop it's a tabletop version machine except that the, now the tabletop is of course an hd television laid down right and it's not a cocktail game like no. cocktail table game no, no it's very much like at waist level right you stand you up play stand a la atari football remember the Ooh. <laughs> Well played, sir. <laughs> Rollerball uh, X's yeah. and O's, lovely. It's got uh, and it's got this very cool, uh, like th- this pole that goes up and and has a uh, display light box above the screen showing you that it's Pac-Man Battle Royale and yeah, it's yeah. four player and things like that. It, it you definitely Google what this thing looks like because it's one of a kind. It's cool. And if it's by you, you're very lucky. And what what it is essentially is a simultaneous four player Pac-Man Championship Edition, except right that now when you get the power pellets, you can also eat the other Pac-Man that you're playing against. Right, and depending on when you hit the other Pac-Man, you can push them out of the way in, while you're uh, normal. Yeah, you like when you're in your bump. normal state, you yeah. can actually bounce them into ghosts and things like that. Right, right. And so it was very surprising when we saw this Pac-Man Battle Royale for free for your iPhone, right. and it's a, it's an Asterix game, so it also works on your iPad. But you're going to have to play at least with two players, or you could just have uh, the other pac-man on the screen and, and eat him up when you no screen, cpu so. control it's no there's gotta no be CPU with at least control. another human body exactly and you can play you know two two players on the same ipad i don't know how i don't know if there is local play for the for the iphone version uh but uh, <laughs> pretty I, tough. one thing that i did notice is that local play the control is pretty good it's not really the pac-man uh, for the ipad control that i'm used Couple to hiccups but it's yeah. good but if you try to do it with through the linked mode oh you unless you yeah. want to just go in a straight line you're going to get very frustrated so hey it's free. It gives you a little taste of Pac-Man Battle Royale. And uh, 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 go hey, to the arcade. I have a uh, press release from Namco, actually, okay. right right here in front of me. Hold on. Let me. Okay. There it goes. Okay. Um, this, is, this is coming right down from Namco. In regard uh, to the complaints toward Pac-Man Battle Royale for the iOS, yeah. Namco would like to say to all of the uh, negative reviews that it has received uh, to those people <laughs> get over it right very professional namco yeah their, their well, pr you know, department is uh, is amazing my shopping list is on the other side <laughs> of it i think this is my handwriting okay actually, gotcha which yeah. would explain the fragmented sentences let's right. move on but let's talk about other type of uh, weird things that happen number one the ipad finally got doodle jump the only problem is that it's called hop based on the movie hop so instead of having little doodle going up there you have a a much more graphically impressive version of doodle jump except that now you're hop and then you throw easter eggs at these chicks that are supposed to be the enemies so uh that kind of stinks a little bit there but it's He's a season for the reason yeah i'll tell you what just get doodle jump and even though it's the ipod version play it on your um play it on your ipad it looks fine but yeah. something happened in the pac-man arena and uh, it's it's quite a stretch. It's called Pack and Jump. No, not Doodle okay. Jump. Pack and Jump. <laughs> and what what it is is uh, Pac-Man doing the Doodle Jump. 
And oh. as far as I know, there's four stages. There may be more. I haven't I haven't unlocked the fourth stage yet. But you start first on Pac-Man stage. Now, I got to tell you, if you've never played Doodle Jump, then number one, you probably just got your eye device. Number two. Uh, this Pac-Man version might be something that you will enjoy. I certainly enjoy it just for the techno music because, you know, if you want to reinvigorate your 1980s games, you put some techno music to it. And boy, brother, that just spiffies it up right for the kids. It sure worked for Eagle Championship Edition. <laughs> that was one of my favorite titles. Uh, no. You start on a Pac-Man theme, and of course the the ghosts are there. Now the the art style on this is fantastic because they kept it like I want to say maybe LED pixel art, but it's okay. all disco-y and it's all like flashlight type of areas as you're jumping up these Pac-Man maze-looking platforms, and then you eat the power pellets and you go flying up the screen and you gobble up ghosts and and things like this. And uh, it's a different style from the Championship Edition. Yeah, it's very different than Championship. It, like okay. I said, it's, okay. it's Doodle Jump with disco lights and disco sounds. Okay. Uh, and Pac-Man themes. Uh, so you, there's also levels where instead of having um, the um, platforms, and there's actually pack pellets, and you can try to wind your way up these pack pellets that are strategically placed in various patterns, and then there's fruit along the way, and that makes you go up the, the instead of jet packs and helicopter beanies and mm-hmm. things like this that you normally have in doodle jump they have these you know you eat the fruit and you eat the pack pellets and you eat the the uh, the dots and as a matter of fact instead of seeing how high you could get uh, in feet and inches and in yards and liters your height is determined by dots now i don't know why they okay. didn't go by cookies uh, in this one, yeah, I, really, I don't know either. Really like pack party <laughs> cookies, uh, but uh, you do that. Pack then, party, a smash success on the way. Amazing! That is truly the epitome of the tribute. We helped push that one too. The tribute of Pac-Man for his twenty-fifth. I can't think of a better way to pay tribute to Pac-Man than you know maybe a gravestone. But other than that, this is the uh, the second best way. And pack uh, cookies. Chain. A board game. Right, and Pack Chain, another forgettable puzzle version, and uh, now, of course, the, the Pack Doodle Jump. But I, re- I, I really like this. I really love it. Uh, it. It grows on you. You want to try to get higher, and you especially want to unlock the other stages. What's the second stage, you may ask? When you reach a certain level of dots, you unlock level two, which is Dig Dug. Now, who, oh, okay. who didn't want to Pac-Man gobble up that dragon that breathes fire at you? So, you know, it's the same Fryer, type of thing. Fry guy or something like this. Okay. That's his name. All right. You got that little orange dude in the, in the ski goggles, and you got the... And, but you're still Pac-Man, and, but now you, you jump on top of dirt, you know, dirt, dirt mm. platforms and things like that. And then you still, you still have different things that you could gobble up, um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and you have then techno versions of the Dig Dug music. So it's all very themed. And then the stage I needed to unlock was Rally X. This is like a whole collection or, or, or a, a rogues gallery of of all of the uh, Namco classics. Then. It's it's a Namco tribute and you go up the, the levels and then there's cars going across the road. But the, what's interesting here is the play mechanics change just a tiny bit on your enemies in that if you hit one of the mm-hmm. cars, you don't just die. If you hit one of the cars, you get knocked back down. So make sure there's like a platform under you. Or if you're above them and you land on them, you're getting bumped up. So you get bumped around this by the car. 
really cool. Yeah, and you can eat the cars if you eat the power pellets, but the thing that will kill you is the little rock turds that you would run into in Rally X. The smogs. <laughs> And then, yeah. uh, uh, and then stage four is Galaga, which I haven't unlocked. I still need to get oh, 220, cool. 225,000 and 207 more dots, and then I can unlock that. So what's nice is that you don't have to keep playing the harder stages to unlock the higher levels. You can just play the Pac-Man level, and as long as you keep accumulating these, these dots, um, you know, get, trying to get higher and higher and better scores, you will unlock the stages. I am downloading okay. this now. Yeah, I think it's fun, and like I said, you know, uh, don't expect Doodle Jump, uh, but if you've never played Doodle Jump, this is this is a neat little alternative. I don't know if, you know, they got permission to do it, or if it's just a knockoff or whatever, but uh, I gotta tell you, Namco has the most games for the iPad of any of the classic studios, so I'm, uh, I'm happy with what they've been putting out. As am I. Right on. Another thing that we forgot to talk about last episode was that one of my favorite game development companies, Hudson, was actually bought out by Capcom. So let's hope we get to see Street Fighter versus Bonk. Yes, <laughs> I'm looking Master, forward to that. Master Higgins and Bomberman. Well, you know, it would be it would be Street Fighter X Bonk. <laughs> but uh, what you, it would you know, Bomberman could would be a great character for in one of these uh, Marvel versus Capcoms or something. I, I could totally see a lot of the Hudson characters uh, being, you know, integrated into one of these versus free for all battle royale type of games. Be It'd awesome. be really cool. I, I hope that will happen. Uh, and speaking of uh, some of my favorite franchises and some of my favorite games, especially a game that I've been clamoring to come back to our consoles to come down as a downloadable title to come uh, JJ and Jeff. <laughs> no, guess no, not. Not, not. Uh, the You Don't Know Jack franchise came out. Jelly Vision. The whole nine yards, everything about you know that Jelly Vision is back. I'm so happy about this, and it's available also for your iPad as well as your mm. PlayStation, your Wii, and your 360. Now you picked this up for your PS3. Yes, uh, and song. I am loving it. I haven't played it since 1996 uh, when I picked it up for my Mac at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of great memories with friends sitting around the keyboard playing that game. A lot of the things, like, basically, in case people don't know Jack, it's um, a trivia game, much in the way of like a Jeopardy. And like Jeopardy, it uses natural language to ask its, ask its questions. But the questions are an integration between pop culture type of riddles and it, it's definitely got that 90s flair because the host cookie masterson that, that snide um sarcastic you know pop culture aware attitude that you'd expect from a 90s game but it still works today he's back and he's uh he's hosting the latest editions on the wii i believe it's on the ds as well the xbox the playstation as well as the uh ipad and iphone and in this game you compete against other players in trivia questions and uh there's you know little bonuses just like a game show and you can screw other players and force them to ask so that's pretty much the, the crust of the show if you are familiar with the the game then you're just going to eat this up because it is more of the things that you love about it and i think that there, even though I, I believe there was uh, a version on the playstation one maybe the playstation two there's been such a long gap that mm -hmm. to me and i think most of the people who've been playing it and you know pick this up right away 
it doesn't feel stale at all. It was so clever when it came out. There, there actually were many hosts, depending on, you know, if you had, uh, you don't know, Jack 1, 2, 3, 4, The Ride, Head Rush, all this other uh, type yes, of... Yes, yeah, I didn't play any of those. There was a sports-specific one. There was one for movies. There was one for uh, music. Uh, so all the... Some of them there was that TV hosts. show that lasted eight episodes with Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, doomed from the start. But uh, yeah. Yeah, Cookie is definitely one of my favorite hosts. This is it's considered the most irreverent trivia trivia game ever right from the beginning uh when when i first played this on a mac uh you hear the production crew going on backstage okay who's the desktop how many people are going to be playing if you were sad sack enough to be the only player and you press one he would of course say ah going solo you know uh, crude jokes and making fun of you and degrading you or if you didn't put your name in they'd pick (laughs) names for you if you took too long you know like Alien versus Predator, things like that. Really good stuff. Great topics. Amazing humor. And then when the game ended, not only would you feel like poop from being degraded the entire time, but you would be treated to the funny Jellyvision commercials as the credits right. would roll. The winner always got insulted as well. <laughs> the losers got insulted, but the winner also got insulted as well. So it's uh, definitely has that, like I said, 90s attitude flair about it, but it's not in the same way as, like, let's say, Duke Nukem. Mm. Uh, it, it's more in the way of, like, the movie Clerks, if that makes sense. You know, mm. with the pop culture sort of in the know. Dialogue is funny. You know, there was a lot of games that came out around that time where it was all about the dialogue and mm. how funny the dialogue can be and how many times you could use a, a pop culture reference. That's what this game has. It still works today because pop culture is all around us Uh, i've been playing it on the playstation 3 i've been playing it online mostly and i really can't complain with any of like delays or anything like that because sometimes when you play online you feel Mm -hmm. cheated i can't really complain too much except for the very end which is the jack attack Mm. and that's where you have to match up two ideas together and hit x and then you get the points it's pretty much like the lightning round at the end of a game show so you can rack up a bunch of points if you, you you've fallen behind right that's the only portion in the game where i've screamed at the television <laughs> saying you know i i hit x and it froze you know uh, the two ideas froze on the screen and that's the only time i ever feel cheated there's also other times where there's a limited amount of episodes when you start uh, playing it's very obvious where uh, some gamers have already played through x amount of episodes because before cookie master uh, masterson even like starts reading the first sentence in the question they've already hit the right answer i see so you know it's all muscle memory or whatever Uh but other than those two complaints great well in the jack attack remember Remember the clue clue. Uh, very nice yeah horrible this is definitely a game that you want to play with someone sitting next to you. And, I mean, it, it was very fun to share a keyboard among three players. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I'm sure that loses a little something. But if you do play it just locally, chances are you won't run into the same questions. Right. It has that built in, even from the very first You Don't Know Jack, that it doesn't repeat until it reaches, like, the very end of, of everything. As long as you always played it on the same system. 
Oh yeah, I haven't experienced a, a repeat episode yet, and I've played it quite a few times. I'm just saying that it, it's obvious when there's I'm playing mm-hmm. against somebody online yeah. who has right, and and know. that's that's like one of the only downfalls I could see of that there. I don't think there would be a way to keep track of what questions people haven't been asked uh, right. across the wire there. Well, here it is for the iPad. Number one, it's a one-player game, which uh, what you thought would stink. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I I thought mm, I, I I wasn't crazy about going solo with this myself back in the day, but who knows? Maybe there's going to be an update. I know that there's going to be new features in upcoming ones. There's going to be new episodes in upcoming ones. And the reason that I mention episodes is because the number two detractor that you may feel is a detractor is that there are only 20 episodes, meaning that each one of those 20 episodes is going to be the same questions, same jokes, same everything. I don't know. Now, I've only done two episodes, and I've had this for just as many days. Okay. <laughs> so I think that you're going to go through this slowly. Number two, you could give your iPad to a friend to play the same episode you already know the answers to if they weren't around. And there are high scores. There's achievements that you unlocked and stuff like that. But i got to tell you, once I started playing it, and once I heard Cookie and the questions, the questions were so new, like uh, Charlie Sheen jokes about two and a half men. That's the first question I got asked. How many okay. bones would two and a half men have? Uh, and then uh, this uh, later in that round, oh, it was a question about the royal marriage. So very current questions already in this uh, this this game, and like I said, they're going to be bringing out new episodes uh, and new features. Right. So I don't know. It's five bucks, twenty episodes. Ooh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Though. I don't know. It's yeah. so professional looking though, and and that's a nice thing. Probably the, one of the reasons this is works online. Probably one of the reasons that it really works on the iDevice is because the backgrounds are simple, but they're very professional looking. Yes. Another thing is every question that you get asked has a little musical video oddball interlude that leads into the next question. So it'll be like a song about the number eight and it'll be dancing uh, like a hoedown or something and then fall on a grave and then say eight. I don't know. As odd as that sounds, yes. That's it. And, you know, just the way that they structure the the, uh, questions and things like you had mentioned, they, they, they phrase them as word puzzles, you know. So it's not it's not as simple as how many bones make up two human bodies right so like the example you gave with how many bones would be two and a half men it's that natural language that is a big part of a game like jeopardy where it's it's a riddle so mm-hmm. it's not you know it's a curveball your brain is has got to process what exactly it's being asked it's not being asked anything about two and a half men it's being right. asked how many bones are in two and a half human bodies, which yeah. is cool. It's yeah. fun. It makes it challenging. But when you're playing solo and you score, uh, you know, you do very well. Do you rub it in your own face or what do you do? Well, you could see how bad you do. And I think, isn't that the fun of it? Like, <laughs> like you could be doing really well. You can have, you know, several hundred thousand points. And now it comes to double points. And guess what? Now you're in the hole, uh, you know, two thousand mi- minus $2,000. So One of my favorite experiences playing with people who have never played it before 
is letting them completely flounder through three quarters of the game and then being like, you know, you don't have to answer the questions, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Because yeah. you get penalized for answering incorrectly. You don't have to answer. Then you yeah. have no punishment. Uh, that always gets a, a look of death. Now, that from- was a, that was another thing. I didn't try to let the timer run out on any of these because uh, because I just well, didn't. Well, you're flying solo. You yeah. should be punished for that because it's like... You're not competing against anybody. <laughs> right, gotcha. So I don't know, but uh, and and one of the other things is to keep in mind it does support uh, Game Center, so you can't compare your score to the leaderboards and your friends and uh, other people around the world. So there is that type of competition, and like I said, they they said it's going to have some new features. So who knows? Yeah, this franchise came out at a great time because it can always stay current now, and with downloadable content, you yep. can always add more episodes. I, I just. I think it's. I, I'm sure it's not doing huge numbers. That's what I'm afraid but, um, of. Yeah, it's fun for the niche market who wants it, and uh, I, I think hopefully the downloadable content will be enough to keep it going because you don't need much more. You just need more DLC. Listen, do yourself a favor. You probably don't have either many or any trivia type games for your console system please just go out and buy this it'll cost you a song you might get it for 15 bucks 20 bucks at the most support this because this is such a great franchise that's why we're talking about it so long because yeah it's a great a great party game really great i mean it was back then it is now yeah it's you're gonna have as much fun as jamming on plastic instruments with your friends because you're gonna be laughing the jokes are funny and uh, it's not corny well, sometimes no. it's corny well, but it's funny and it's fun Right on, man. Hey, so that's it for that's all that I got. Yeah, that's all I have too. All right, stick we, around. we talked a lot for not having much. We did. Stick around. Okay. Uh, sure. Kyle von Kubik. Kyle von Kubik can be heard on We Talk Games. Go to wetalkgames.com. Be a part of that social media network, and you can chat right to Kyle von Kubik right on air. And all your favorite personalities of We Talk Games, like Johnny Capcom. Open it up. Johnny! Johnny, my boy. Now, when was the last time someone you called you Johnny, my boy? Ooh, um, probably about two years ago. Happy anniversary. John! Where are you from, John? Uh, well, I'm from Ireland, essentially. I was born in Waterford. Uh, I live in Galway at the moment. And oh, Galway! But uh, at the moment, I'm actually residing old school in, uh, well, not residing, but I'm staying over here uh, for the zombie weekend in Anascarthy. So, gotcha, you know. gotcha. Oh, you're back in Anascarthy. I should have said Anascarthy, go! I know. Well, I just you did. know. Hey, if you don't mind, I'm going to have a little bit of Olker, uh, one of those uh, cock sandvicks. Yeah, you ever have one of these Olkers? No, uh, is it a... You know what it is? It's one of your, your biscuits, uh, except with the chocolate in the middle. Yeah, you know, like, it's like a McVitie's. 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 Except like that it's, it's Turkish, you see. It's a Turkish version of McVitie's, and they call them Koksandvik, which is usually something I wouldn't want to eat. But uh, it looks good. It's got chocolate on it. So I'm just going to have one of those. Right. Now, <laughs> what you been playing lately? How is the Nintendo 3DS? How have you been enjoying that? Uh, I haven't been enjoying that because I am not an aristocrat and I can't drop, can't drop coin on everything. Why doesn't anyone own that on the show? How are we going to review it? Let's just give a review of it anyway. What's your favorite game on there? 
Probably Super Street Fighter 4 3D. It is so good on there. You feel like you're getting kicked right in the face. By yeah, it reminds me a lot of Tekken 2 on the, the PlayStation when you could switch the camera angles and it'd go behind the shoulder, you know? Right. Of course, that ties into the future game uh, Street Fighter X Tekken, which uh, you know, was looking pretty good. Uh, I, I like the look of uh, King in the Street Fighter 4 style, you know? Oh, man. Is that real? Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to learn all of King's combo moves again. Well, Tekken 2, I think, is where I learned learned them all. And uh, was he in Tekken 1? Yeah, he was in Tekken 1. Yeah. But in Tekken 2, that's where I learned them all. And man, it was devastating when someone didn't know how to block. You just, you, you, you take like 95% of their life in one move. It was, it was completely awesome. But uh, those days are gone. Uh, I remember sitting there with the strategy guide and saying, okay, I got that far. Now I got to remember to do this, this, and this, and this, which is uh, what I called fun with video games. I think the, the Street Fighter X Tekken is going to have or the combo system of Tekken in the Street Fighter mold, if that makes any sense. Wow. Now is it going to be four button or six button? I don't know. I think um, the Tokyo kind of exhibi- exhibition for video games recently. Okay. And uh, they had someone from Capcom was talking about it. I think they're going to... Namco are supposed to be making Tekken X Street Fighter, which would be as Street Fighter characters in the Tekken 6 engine. But oh. so far, we haven't heard anything. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, well, hey, tell me about what you have been playing while I eat my Kako Sandvik. I, you know, I just realized it's it's probably supposed to be Coco Sandwich. Probably. Which is not probably. as exciting as Kako Sandwich. Sandvik. That, yeah. that doesn't sound like a desert porno. It, it, so. it sort of sounds like it might be Irish. Kako Sandvik. Okay, sure, we'll go with yeah. that. All right, Osandvik, what do you got for us? Um, well, I've I, uh, been playing a lot of 16-bit games uh, lately. Uh, I broke out Batman Returns for the Super Nintendo <laughs> Entertainment System. I saw that on your uh, tweet or something, your yeah. your face tweet. A big fan of that game. Uh, like anything pretty much Konami did in the brawler genre. Mm-hmm. You get to be Batman, you knock around, you, you choke slam people into the ground, you throw them into the windows and break property that doesn't belong to you while saving the kids. Uh, you know, cool music. I mean, it looks great. Uh, Batman looks like he's a beefier Batman than you might be used to. I mean, it certainly doesn't look like it's modeled on uh, Michael Keaton, who is, no. uh, you know, who's quite a, a small fella by the looks of him. But, uh, let me let me so, tell you what you're supposed to do. You, you think, okay, when I think about Batman, I think of this uh, this guy with an incredibly strong jaw. So let's get Michael Keaton, old chicken chin. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's do that. I know Michael Keaton was pretty pretty good as Batman, though. I will, you know, I'll stand by him. I'll stand <sighs> by his performance. <sighs> Sorry, I was heaving. What? I, oh, I was okay. just I had a heave. You know what else I like? What? Spider-Man 3. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm only trolling you, Wiggly, as the, as the kids would say. Uh, I, I got you. I got you. I really like that game. Uh, a lot of stuff happens in it that doesn't happen in the film at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's what that's what used to be fun about those, uh, you know, the, the ports, so to speak. It would have been nice if Penguin actually looked like the top hat and, this, and the, the cigarette on a stick and the tails. 
But in that one, is he even in there? I don't even remember. But I know that they, I know that some of the ones based off the movie, he's like that stupid person that looks like they should just be in a circus or something. Uh, well, Danny I'm DeVito. Honestly, the game is a little bit too hard for me, and I can't get to that. Ah, okay, okay. And now, is there a driving level in that one? There is, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was surprised that uh, Konami actually had some licensed titles along the way. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think they even did like a, some type of Marvel game. I can't be certain right now. I know Daddy East well, had they did, Marvel. Well, they did X Men Arcade. Oh right, of course, of course. Yeah, that, that's I, was, I, I, I had nothing but Captain America and Avengers on my mind. Let's face oh, well, that's it, so, no, that blocked everything out. So <laughs> that's a good title. Now, speaking of, uh, of superheroes, I might as well get this out of the way. Uh, I know that you have a Wii and you have a uh, an iPod. Uh, do, you, do you also have uh, one of these things here, a uh, Nintendo DS? I do indeed. Okay, very good. So you have the, you have those. So that's good because I only have really two games to talk about with you today. And the first is a Marvel license by Big Ben Interactive. Now the reason I needed to talk about this with you, number one, is because you still play your Wii, and number two is because this was uh, like a European only release, and maybe uh, some parts of Korea and things like this. And it's called Marvel Superheroes 3D. Grandmaster's Challenge. Now, okay. if you know anything about comics, you know Grandmaster. He's sort of, I wouldn't put him in the same class as Galactus, but he's a very, very powerful, godly dude that likes to pit some superheroes against others, and he, he plays it like a giant game and things like this. Now, I was not aware that this was made for babies, okay? So I went in into this game, not aware of that, until I saw the Wolverine, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, or Spider-Man masks that also double as the 3D glasses that you're supposed to wear. So you have these uh, superhero masks with the cyan and the magenta in them, or the red and blue, or whatever they are. I'm not afraid to embarrass myself. I, I, I put them on. I, I, I won't shun that away. But I have to say that uh, after playing a little bit of Marvel Superheroes 3D, I came to the conclusion that in Europe, this must have been given away free with some type of Burger King Happy Meal or something. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you, do you remember seeing this as some type of kid's meal th- uh, a free giveaway? Or like say you bought some Buster Brown shoes and you got this. Well, it may have been. Uh, I can't say I'm a Burger King or a McDonald's guy, though. You see. Okay. I like to, I like to support the independent, greasier uh, eateries. You know? <laughs> sure, the Haggisville. It very much could have been. I also don't really watch television, so I couldn't tell you if it was part of like an ad campaign or anything like that. So, you know, sadly, I'm not the guy to to ask. But I, w- I will keep an eye out for it in the future. You know. Well. Or, uh, yeah. Sure. Well, well, based on how great that Namco Pac-Man play, I, what the hell ever, that pack board game that Kyle and I uh, talked about on the last show, I, I was really in that board game feel. Well, this one, you're set around this sphere, and there's this, uh, and that sounds pretty interesting already. You're, I mean, you're, you're set upon this uh, playing board. It's a round circle. It looks like a dart board. Except that you're you're looking at it in a, in a different way, and in the middle is this giant glass dome. 
and the grandmaster sits above his, this uh, playing board and it's three players at a time what you do is you pick what hero you want to be and like i mentioned wolverine spider-man captain america iron man or thor and all of the characters will be on the board at the same time and then you do something uh, that's actually you don't do anything uh, it's your turn and you could decide that you either want to stay there and punch at the the middle glass dome or you could choose to move and the reason that you would want to move is to move away from this big uh, electronic ray gun that goes around the outside of the board that the grandmaster's in charge of at the end of all the heroes rounds laser beam can only go a certain amount of uh, tiles so maybe you think you're safe from where that thing's gonna go so you don't wind up in jail or you know and then you, you punch or you can use one of these uh, things that he gives you to uh, now one of the interesting things is these things that they give you to determine if you want to do a move or a punch are given to you by Nova so that was kind of interesting to see Nova and that was probably the most in only interesting thing of the game number one the 3d is just awful uh, it's terrible it's lousy because this whole thing is a comic book so if you want to make a comic book 3d you really need to watch your colors because Iron Man Thor Captain America Spider-Man they all have red and blue in their costumes except for <laughs> Iron Man's got red and yellow so they sort of halfway work with things uh, the other way to do th 3d with uh, in color and still be able to see what the glasses is is to do like real life uh, things because there there's more gradients and it's not harsh but this is comic tones so they just totally don't work with this um, there's thick black lines around everybody no no there there aren't it's just it's polygons and it just uh, in bright colors and it just doesn't work the whole game is just broken it's it's, it's, a, it's a lousy piece of poo so you decide if you want to do that or not and then uh, you don't roll dice you don't do anything interesting uh, the the thing will say uh, you want to move and then this like line will go back and forth between one to three spots and stop wherever it feels like maybe you only moved one space then you get to go do one of his challenges Basically, what it is is almost the same terrain each time. Uh, sometimes you're going through a canyon type of looking thing. Sometimes you're going through an electronic type of canyon looking thing. Uh, sometimes you're whatever. And here, Spider-Man will be swinging around or... Um, Wolverine will be running or Iron Man will be flying and Captain America will be flying and it's all supposed to be like in 3D so like when you see Spider-Man flying you just see your hands go out in front of you as you go through these canyons and then there'll be enemies on screen that you have to do quick time events to and the quick time events re revolve around flicking your wrist to the right flicking your wrist to the left or hitting the B button the B button is the only button that you use like to progress through this whole game the B button, which normally takes you out of all the adventure. But the, that B button is the only button you use through the whole game. And sometimes they make you move the nunchuck and the Wiimote to the left or the nunchuck and the Wiimote to the right to dodge and then do these quick time events. And the thing that sucks about it is that they put the instructions in the lower right hand corner or the lower left hand corner. So you don't even watch what your enemies are coming to 3d and all this because you're down here looking at the left or the right that's how the fun those those uh, quick time events are and that's really the only thing you do in this game is quick time events 
And then uh, sometimes you get put in jail because you get you get zapped by this thing or you lose on one of the, the quick time events on the planet. And now the other three heroes will try to win the game for you by breaking this dome in the middle. And uh, then you get transported back home and that's the end of the game. Oh, the other thing about this is the levels are all the same like, if you did one level, it's going to be the same enemies, the same routine the next time you go back to that level. Oh. And the same goes for your mid-bosses. And sometimes you'll fight the mid-boss, like the lizard or juggernaut, and then you'll fight them again, and they'll be the end boss, the lizard or juggernaut. And it's the same routine that they go through. Okay, here's where I have to dodge left. Here's where I have to hit Red Skull with my shield. Here's where uh, this other robot comes on, and I have to hit him with my shield and my claws. So it's just very, I don't know who this is for. I can only see it being available for free. Or maybe they, they had these uh, 3D goggle masks that they made, and they said, well, Oh, we can't sell these. Hey, let's quick make a game to try to sell our 3D masks. And then I would think that perhaps that's what went on there. Marvel Superheroes 3D Grandmaster Challenge imported from Europe today. And if you need someone to send you on a copy, I mean, I should be able to find it. So, you know, just <laughs> you, look me up. Yeah, just go get a Happy Meal and whammo. Question about the game is, uh, yes. is any Grandmaster's hit hit songs like White Lines or The Message, <laughs> are they included in on the soundtrack? Or? Yeah, on a serious note, the, the music was like all canned from some other game that they had made in the past. It was very unremarkable as well. So, no, that would have been, that would have been going on. Uh, you know, I would have gave the, the uh, game higher marks. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 60, I give it a 0. Oh. Yeah. I'm going back to my Cox, uh, Cox, Coco sandwich, Vic. What else you been playing? Uh, well, I played, um, the new Yars Revenge. Now what? What? And by new, I mean, I bought Yars Revenge again on my, uh, iPod through the Atari, uh, app that came out. Okay. Very good. Now, I almost got sucked into buying all the games for 15 bucks, 100 games in this emulator for $15. But the only free game that they gave you until very recently was Pong. And Pong played all right, except that you had to hold it sideways, sort of. But um, I could just imagine how the other games were. Now it comes with Missile Command, so you might be able to get a better handle on it, which I haven't tried yet. How how does Yars Revenge control? Really, really well. You play the game game portrait style. In the middle of the screen is your game screen. And then below is a, I guess you could say, a virtual joystick where you can move it four ways, you know, because obviously that game only had four uh, controls. And then your joystick's over on the left and the button's over on the right. And uh, the game plays out in front of you. And I think they, they switch it around. They switched the control scheme around for different games because um, mm-hmm. now I didn't honestly care what I got. I just I was like, I will pay seventy nine pence for um, Yars Revenge. Like you know, I didn't care what I got with it. Wait, you get three games for ninety nine cents in the states here. Is it three or five? Uh, or it was. I think I got four. Okay, yeah, I think that's what. Four. It is. Or then you could buy all 100 for 15 bucks. 
and the music in this inter- the interface is just so beautiful yeah. uh, there's this company they made a, a fantastic interface for this and the music is uh, very catchy sort of like a kill bill feel so it's it, very attractive package and there's conflicting reviews about it all over the place because some games were spinner knobs some games were the roller balls the track balls so well i got a major havoc secret quest and sentinel free with well not free but i paid for them along with yours revenge okay but um they all kind of control weird i think um i guess sentinel then is a light gun game and Hmm. what's weird is there's the way that controls is there are the screen the screen split up into two in portrait style again but the bottom screen is a grid you're looking at the the top screen and you can see where all your enemies are coming from and all that and then you tap the corresponding grid uh, coordinates to fire at them okay it's, instead of just touching them on the screen like mm-hmm, you would mm-hmm. you know for something else but, uh, i haven't really played there i mean uh the kind of vectory looking graphics on major havoc uh, they actually look really good on the the ipod i could just say that but i haven't really been able to play it that well i haven't that one kind of controls odd because there's like a weird kind of wheel on the screen and you use the wheel to direct your ship and so gotcha. so, so pretty cool and i mean i was glad to pay 79 cents to get um Yara's Revenge on the go. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I can recommend it for that. And I mean, like, as I said, the interface is really nice and it's very easy to, to get in there. And I mean, if you do have, I mean, like, it's, I think it's 12 euros to get the, the full collection. I mean, why not? There's some dofers in there, but there's sure. some classics as well, you know? Out of, out of 100 games, there's got to be some good ones in there but does it justify the higher price when you think of oh i could buy three games four games for 99 cents and you're saying okay well that's that's actually reasonable as well but then when you say oh i could get them all for 15 you think oh that's a really great deal but then when you look at other titles that are only ten dollars at the most then it's it's right it's it's been it's been plaguing me since this thing came out and, I mean, you can uh, get the Sword Quest trilogy together on there and all. I mean, that's, 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 that's awesome, you know? And then you don't want to take the leap for the 79 cents if then you're going to buy the whole thing for twelve ninety nine, as you say. Uh, yeah. Then you're like, oh, then I paid too much. I'm worried <laughs> about 79 cents. Well, I mean, I don't I mean, to me, the, the Atari's uh, games are very precious. So, uh, gotcha. I can see myself buying this down the road, and the team that programmed it really—I mean—they're I, getting a lot of static in the in the comments about things not controlling well, and you know that's just what's going to happen. This device wasn't made to play these things. If, if someone came out with a Bluetooth joystick, that would be amazing, and it would work really well. But uh, we don't have that yet, so there's some games that aren't going to translate well. They, some of those games didn't control well to begin with, number one. Uh, but <laughs> but when you have a hundred games to choose from, there's got to be something in there that you're you're able to do that's very good yeah i i uh, it's very tempting to me if if i didn't fear going to jail for my taxes i would uh be picking that right up there's another two games i played recently and i, I sent you an email about them so i don't order you you got to play these oh now. yeah the new jeff minter games that i you know kyle and i even earlier in this show we were talking about uh the games that came out from Nairulu Labs, which the one game is Forget Me Not, and we were saying about how much this is Mittner, and then that same day, 
you told me about the two Mittner games, uh, <laughs> games from Llama Soft that came out, and I was just delighted about that. I, I picked up all three of those titles, and they're just delightful. Now, these are going into our Gaming Universe B area right here, uh, games that developed along a different timeline of our video game timeline in this Universe A. We're always in Universe A, let's face it. Yeah, you know, sadly. So tell me about Minotron and Minnow Rescue, Mino Rescue. I saw a video with uh, Minter talking about these games, and he was saying like he just literally wanted to create VCS and, and television-style games that had never been put out before. Mm. Minotaur Rescue is kind of a mix of Space War and asteroids uh, but like when you shoot the rocks apart obviously there are minotaurs inside <laughs> and uh, when you collect them and stop them from going into the sun your lasers get more powerful and uh, the ship is constantly firing so it's out of fire and you control the the movement of it it's a bit kind of difficult to get the grips with it at the beginning because you start to make big swipes and you send the ship all over the place, crashing into every <laughs> rock that appears in the screen. But once you get it, like you make the little tiny yeah, adjustments you have to go and stuff, tiny, yeah. it really, really works. But then and you do have that gravitational sun in the middle, like uh, a lot of the classic titles, that, especially a lot of Vectrix titles. So you have to be fighting the gravity of that as well. So it's it's a, it's got a lot going for it. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, I think I got it for like seventy nine cents. So I mean, it's a good value as well, mm. but. If you like Atari 2600 graphics, so graphics, and you, you like, uh, well, I mean, everyone does like the, the few uh, iDevice games that control well. Mm. You'll dig this a lot, like, you know, and, and the same kind of goes for um, Minotron 2112, mm. which is an update of Lamatron yeah. uh, from the Atari ST, but uh, with Minotaurs in them. And I mean, I loved that game the minute I loaded it up, and the opening screen was yeah. uh, the television with uh, Cattell yeah. Electronics. Yep. You know, presents, and you know, and uh, obviously you're a Minotaur, and you're going around uh, like in Lamatron or Robotron, battling Coke cans and toilet roll and the Welsh flag, yeah. and uh, you know just bizarre items like that while rescuing sheep and llamas and stuff from uh, the evil clutches of the Intellivision Man and uh, the Berserk robots and stuff. And uh, there's a lot of cool kind of sound samples in there. There's like sound samples from Bill and Ted and things like that, and a weird kind of audio. If you like the twin stick shooters from back in the day, you'll dig this. But I think if you just like weird crap, you'll dig it as well. Mm -hmm. you know? And both of them feature, of course, the Mittner dissolves and pixel explosions and all the things that he's famous for. Yeah. And good music as well. Oh, yeah. And strange level names. <laughs> Yeah. Well, th this is Mittner allowed to do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, they, they had to reel him in for the things that he was doing for the like the, for the Atari Jaguar. They had to sort of, you know, tame him down for the things he released for Jaguar or else they would have been just as silly. But there, there were still some, uh, you know, little llama soft touches, uh, uh, minotaur hidden Easter eggs and stuff like that in Tempest. But Tempest, Defender... Uh, those were all uh, really, really, I think he did uh, a version of uh, Missile Command as well. Uh, it's hard to recall right now. Uh, I mean, what I think is cool about him is he's almost like a video game DJ. 
you know mm. he takes older games that he likes and then remixes them right and you know adds in a bunch of crazy samples from you know other games you know he's like instead of taking obviously audio samples and throwing them into an older song he takes the base code of an older game and then just throws whatever insanity he feels like out mm-hmm Obviously, there's stuff like Space Draft, which was just pure psychedelic, you know, mania, but uh, which sadly kind of failed. But that was one of the more interesting games for your eyes to try and play as opposed to just your hands, you know. Right on. There's also another game that I played from Universe B, and it's actually for your Nintendo DS. It's available on DSiWare. And. you probably have, if you've ever bought, purchased anything from the Nintendo DSiWare store, you probably don't realize that you still have a couple bucks left in there. I surely didn't. I went in there and I still had like $12 of DSiWare because I just, I haven't played it in so long. Uh, yeah. I was very happy about that because Jason Rohr, one of our favorite guests that we've had on the show, has a tri-pack available for download. I think it's three dollars you know it's that's like it's either one dollar or three dollars whatever the lowest or second lowest uh price point is in that store and it was put together by uh uh, Sabarasa Publishing, and they collected three of his games. Passage, which we spoke of pretty much uh, at length on our interview with him, which was a game that he developed for some contest that you had to make very small, and uh, but yet it's it's so simple and pixely. One person described it as you just walk to the right, um, uh, but yet it's it still makes me cry when I play it. I don't know. There's it's just when you see this it's just a passage of time is what it is in a video game type of world and you can actually play it more than once now you can't play it a hundred times but you can you can play it a few times and uh, it's still okay to pick up every now and then after a break with it it's very much art in that respect so right when you hand it to some people some people see what is in there to be found you know like whether it be as you said, the passage of time, the relationship stuff, you know, I mean, it always kind of upsets me when the wife dies. Yeah, first. You know. Greed. You know, greed's involved. Yeah. Um, and then some people just go, oh, this is stupid. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it, it definitely is that type of game, which I think is worth something. And then also Gravitation is in there, which is a game that just completely baffles me. Although I, I, I think I won. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely got the highest score I've ever had on my on my Nintendo DS and it works well with that and that's the one where there's this like stove that burns up stars and uh, you can jump real high at certain times when the sun's out and you play ball with your uh, with a girl and then uh, things happen so it's it's a very unusual game once again very blocky but yet like you said you can read into this you can see things your your imagination is uh, allowed to fill in the blanks and and do things like this and then there's also another game which I haven't had a chance to play yet because Chiz has an unpacked or DSI but it's called Between and this is a game that you are forced to play with another person so and you have to do it locally so I don't know what it's like yet but I'm sure it's probably in that same vein as Passions and Gravitation and all I can say about this is 
If you have a couple extra dollars in there, please throw it at this guy because uh, he's out there on his own doing his own thing and touching people, hopefully like our show does as well. And, uh, you know, it, it's nice to give back to that creative community. So, Yeah. Um, no, well, i got to ask a question. Have you been to any decent arcades that, you know, aren't your bar uh, lately? No. In fact, the the bar that I frequent is actually going to start uh, getting some pinball tables in there. Oh, well, that ties into what I was about to bring up because I was actually in a decent arcade today. Oh, very good. I'd like to recommend Atlantic Amusements and Tremor County Water for Ireland. Uh, by the 90s standards, mediocre, but uh-huh. by now standards, pretty good, you know, for as far as the selection of games they had. Sure, on. gotcha. I got to play one of my favorite pinball games, uh, which is uh, Theater of Magic. Okay, right. Uh, yeah, we talked and, about uh, it. I played it a while ago, and I kind of stunk at it, but today I actually turned it over. I got an extra credit out of it, and uh, did manage oh. to get the ball to stick on the thing, and the tiger <laughs> saw blade to spin right, right. and all that. And I was happy. I was really happy just standing there playing it. And, uh, the table, I think, might have been the table I played years ago. It looked pretty beaten up. But the sound was still great. All the tricks still work, you know, like the where the ball goes up around the back. And even though it's fallen down the play field, there's a mirror that makes it look like it's traveling up back into the backboard itself. Right, right. It just sounds like and the, the voices and all that just took me right back to when I was like 10 years old playing this machine. And I also got to play uh, another pinball game. I got to play three pins today in total, but um, remember I was telling you about the one that was released in 1998 and based on the hit movie that year, Caddyshack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to play No Good Gophers today. It's still fun. It's still a lot of fun, but the, the where I was playing was the most poorly lit area of this particular arcade so i was basically playing it in the dark i did pretty well though because i got i actually set the high score hmm. um i kind of think that maybe nobody's played it <laughs> they turn them off every night I, yeah they turn them off so every that, night and then the next day it's uh, reset pretty fun to play it you know you get the weird knockoff kenny loggins music and all that that's great and uh here's the thing those are two uh, tables at williams you know uh-huh uh-huh and uh, just they were amazing pinball manufacturers and uh, then I went next door to this new kind of crappy arcade and I I got to play Avatar the pinball game oh okay the new the new ones now that that's Stern right yeah and it sucks oh uh, here's the thing I mean like I support uh, Stern's newer tables sure and- sure I played the Spider-Man trilogy table. Uh, I played that quite a lot when I'm in Galway, and I really like that table. I think it's great. But this one, the play field was so flat, I was genuinely surprised that the ball would move towards the flippers at all. Oh, okay. Well, you maybe know? maybe that was the fault of the the arcade, not setting well, the incline properly. Well, I don't know. The, the whole thing just looked so... There was like one ramp uh there's one gimmick you know that you can hit it's like a a weird transformer or something and uh i don't know you light up the thundercats and they're happy because the trees are happy i'll be honest i didn't actually for some reason i walked up to it i didn't pay for my game there's two credits on there oh okay someone just Uh, said i'm done yeah and here's the thing i set the high score and i got a free credit uh-huh. but i was so bored that i walked away leaving a credit <laughs> gotcha. as well. gotcha 
I, I, I played a mechanical uh, in the in the bar. They they got three tables in so far. They got a mechanical gold strike, which of course has like a cowboy theme. Not a lot going on there. Uh, two mini flippers in the top, and then two uh, bigger ones down below. I also played Kiss, which actually was an earlier table. It's not fully mechanical. It has a, like a digital scoreboard, but um, really not that exciting. Uh, the, the, I mean, the music for the Kiss game is at the end you get the shout it out loud but like in the beginning you get like um Beth. the yanks are coming the yanks are you know some, I mean, something completely like da 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 you know it's something completely not anything related to kiss very generic you'd think that game would literally be the hottest pinball game in the world but... <laughs> no <laughs> the, back, the, the back glass art is great. The art on the whole thing is great. Their their faces adorn the bumpers. I mean, it's really slick looking, but it, it, it plays okay. It's still good, and I'm glad to see that they're getting pins in there. I mean, about time, right? Yep. I got to play um, two video games today. One I brought up a lot a while ago. Uh, you know the Sega boxing game where you've got like rapier shields for your controllers. <laughs> the Sega uh, one. Yeah. Oh, oh, in the it's arcade. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Of course, yep. It's called Title Fight. I couldn't remember the name of it. Okay. But, but here's the thing. It was so nice to see pixels in an arcade. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. The game is obviously from back in the day, but it actually held up really well. Like, and, uh, It's wireframe punch-out kind of game, but, you know, you, you actually punch using these rapier um, glove controllers. Hand uh, gauntlets, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit all over the place, you know. I mean, do you remember playing this one? Or sure, yep. Says like, oh, put it in diagonal to do an uppercut. You know, <laughs> they might as well just say, just shake him, just shake him and see what you get. And uh, but I got to play that, and I got to play it point blank too. Oh, um, great, fun. Which had those. Yeah, I, here's the thing though, right? I picked the those awesome Namco, you know, clicky guns that uh-huh. came in all those cabinets. I picked it up first, and it wouldn't work. I was pulling the oh. trigger, but every second or third bullet would fire, and oh. I think it clicked back. Here's the thing: you what you had to do was you had to do the old hold the gun with your left hand and constantly pull your finger backward and forward. You know the the multi shot. You had to do that to make it work. I see. This is so this thing had been played to death so much like that. Well, there was a you, pink gun and a and a blue gun, right? Or am I thinking of lethal enforcers for no, the, no, no, pink. There, yeah, yeah pink okay, blue. that's what I thought. I have more pixels, more fun. Yeah, it was right next to a a Mad Dog McCree esque uh, <laughs> light gun game, a new one. So oh. if anyone has any info on that, I didn't bother taking the name down because I'm very lazy. The only gun games I see in arcades, uh, arcade areas, I should say, are you know Big Buck Hunter, and that's about it you know big buck hunter five but uh that sounds great man if you're in ireland and you're down around that area you could definitely you can play some games you know i am on my way (laughs) well you know as as an ambassador of my country i will say you're more welcome to visit stick around for the council i will do all right bye all right bye john e capcom hey yeah what stink you know speaking of the we and, uh, I got a little sneak peek at E3, you know. Oh, you did? Yeah, you know, I'm a beta tester for the Wee Bummy Wand. Uh, the Wee Bummy Wand, eh? I'm really not supposed to be talking about it. 
But it's just so exciting, I can't wait. The Wee Bummy Wand is the new wireless rectal thermometer for total heat immersion feedback. <laughs> oh, yeah? It also measures constipation levels. How long it take you to think of that one, Stink? Hey, speaking of thinking and speaking of rectal thermometers, let's get to Pyarnaline to find out what's going on in the PlayStation universe as if we didn't know. Open it up, Keith! To Pyar, go! Going, going, gone, and back again. It's been a few months. How's everyone doing out here in Wiggleyland? We are delighted to have you back on We Talk Games. Good to hear from you. What you got for us, man? What's going on in the PS3 land? As if I didn't know. <laughs> well, uh, the conspiracy theories are running rampant as to just exactly why the uh, PlayStation Network has been down. I have to say, as somebody who has been uh, a rabid fan of Sony since the PS1 days and a consumer of and reporter on uh, electronic goods for most of my life, Sony has really dropped the ball on how they've handled this one. Yeah. Now, this isn't to say that I'm uh, blaming Sony in any way for whatever the outage is. They're insisting that this is based on some sort of external activities, and that's probably true. Sony has really dropped the ball on how they have been communicating with their customers, uh, how they have been communicating with the press, how they have been getting information out there. And I can understand why they would maybe want to play this one a little close to the chest, because obviously for the outage to have been this severe for this long, something uh, really major in their infrastructure has, has more than likely been attacked. The problem is we as consumers don't know what to expect, don't know how long to expect this to be down, don't know what one of the fundamental integrations of our game machine of choice is going to look like going forward. We are at a point now in the evolution of the console where network connectivity is essentially required for the full experience. Sure. You know, certainly there are uh, games that you play single player and the online component is an afterthought. But then there's games like Call of Duty. Just to pull one out, out at random, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops, pretty much everybody in my office picked up a copy of that. And supposedly one out of every eight households in the country has a copy of that game on some platform or another. I think maybe two of the nine or ten people that I play that game with regularly have completed more than about the second mission of the single player v version. It was essentially purchased exclusively for the multiplayer. And mm. uh, with the PlayStation Network offline now, that game is useless to us. And I somehow doubt that we're the only ones. And I somehow doubt that most of the community is going to take this one lying down. What happened? All of a sudden, they just you couldn't connect. Now, there's many times that we can't connect to the to the to the PlayStation Network. It seems to be every time that I go on because I haven't been going on really a lot to my consoles lately. But every time I go on, I, I, it's one of two things: either I need a system update to be able to see any of my friends, and then uh, you know I have to wait around for that to occur, or I want to go on and take a look at what's new in the store and new free to us uh, plus members and the stores down for a few hours. Certainly there have been an increase, probably since about Christmas, I would say, of the uh, amount of downtime that you would experience. But, you know, I'm the sort of person that, you know, my day job is I literally spend 10 or 11 hours every day making sure that everybody else in the country can watch their television on demand. Mm. So when I get home at the end of that, pretty much the last thing I want to do is turn on the television. <laughs> 
so I am much more likely to, uh, you know, turn on the PlayStation, take a look at what my friends are doing online, maybe grab some Netflix so that I can watch what I want to watch as opposed to what the cable company thinks I should be watching. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody who pretty much when I'm at home, the PlayStation is usually on and usually connected to the network. Gotcha. The PlayStation network first went down on April 20th. And it was literally a good five or six days before any information came out of Sony whatsoever. And Sony admitted, A, that there's a problem. Uh, B, that the problem is based on attacks external to the network. And C, that users' information has been compromised. Mm -hmm. Even at that, the only thing they've told us for sure that has been compromised is login IDs. Passwords may have been compromised. Mm-hmm. Personal identification, like your your uh, your phone number, your address, may have been compromised. Credit card information that you have stored may have been compromised. Sony is refusing to admit it, and I think that's just about the worst possible way to go about it. Now, you know, the, the argument has been put forward that for most users, unless you're subscribed to you know PlayStation Plus, the PlayStation Network is a free service, and you know you get what you pay for. Most free services don't require that you put credit card information just to utilize a lot of the functions. Certainly, mm-hmm. you don't have to store your credit card information, but especially if you're somebody that doesn't have some kind of a USB keyboard connected to your PlayStation, <laughs> storing the credit card number can save you a lot of time if you're doing any sort of regular transactions on, on the PSN. Oh, yeah. uh, so a lot of people do that. And the lack of information about something that could potentially be as you know central to your to your identity and more to the point your credit score as your credit card number you know that's a pretty serious breach uh, if that has been compromised and i really think that sony has a responsibility to let us know exactly what is at risk here yeah if anything had to do with passwords then we need to be changing our passwords for other things right now in case we shared uh, passwords with other online entities which many of us do Absolutely. They've actually done some research on this. They said that the average person has accounts on over uh, 75 different online services and has a total of maybe five passwords that they just share between them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, tip to would-be hackers out there, if you really want to be able to cause some havoc in the world, uh, create a a free service on some free website somewhere (laughs) that offers something that is, you know, kind of trivial, like, uh, you know, access to yesterday's stocks or something. If anybody signs up for it, odds are good that if you just start going into random major websites and putting in that login information, you know, every one time out of Five, you're going to get a hit. <laughs> the nice thing about my uh, PSN uh, combo is that uh, it, I don't use that username on anything else. So uh, that's one plus. But then again, if it has my email, well, then then there's uh, other things there. Uh, fortunately, I've been using an application called One Password, which generates a very secure password for any site that I go sign up for. And as soon as I create a new account, it offers to remember that uh, username and password combinations immediately with all the, you know, parentheses and asterisks and uppercase, lowercase, and all the things that we should be creating our passwords with, not just your name, <laughs> again, with a number one in back of it. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to do it. You know, and I mean, I'm not really as secure as I could be. I have a finite number of passwords that I rotate through. I am very careful to make sure that they're all seemingly random combinations of letters and numbers that are meaningful to me and wouldn't be meaningful to anybody else, Mm -hmm. which is a further step than a lot of people take. But, you know, I'm out sweating. The main 
problem with all of this is more the fact that it took them six days to admit that our passwords may have been compromised. How long has whoever perpetrated this had this information? Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of damage online in six days if you've got somebody's account information. Oh, yeah. And, you know, let's also take a look at the people like yourself that are subscribers to PlayStation Plus. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will fume over how Sony has been handling this, but at the end of the day, as long as my credit card information isn't getting stolen, I really haven't lost anything because I don't pay anything for the PlayStation Network. And certainly the fact that you could access that network without paying a monthly fee was a big part of why I chose the PlayStation 3 over the Xbox 360. Yeah. Um, but ultimately... I'm not really out anything except a week or two of playing games online, and I don't do a whole lot of online gaming, even though I'm connected to the network pretty much whenever I'm home. What about people that are subscribing to the PlayStation Plus? You know, you're paying Sony a certain amount of money every month, every six months, or every year, depending on which subscription plan you have, mm -hmm. with the assumption that they will be providing you a service in exchange for that money. If you want to string along your free customers because they're not supporting you, okay, that's not how I would run a business, but that's certainly a valid business choice. There's, there's got to be something to the people that are paying for the PlayStation. Almost worse than coming out and saying something offensive, because at least if you're saying something offensive, you've said something. You know, Sony always comes off to me as being a little too proud so uh but they need to uh they need to step it up with when other people's information is involved the, the banks don't even screw around like this banks will say listen we got to cancel your credit card and we're sending you a new one because there was a breach and any other service like circuit city or or what have you if if anything like that happens they'll tell you your your account may have been compromised get new credit cards or whatever so oh exactly i mean just last week when i went grocery shopping the grocery store when i got up to pay said by the way our website got hacked we're giving you a new card as of today use this instead of the one you've been using mm -hmm. and i mean you know this is a grocery store this isn't even something where i've really got all that much sensitive information with yeah. this stuff happens man and if, if you run a big company that has a million users i'm not sure how many they have you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have problems you know the things like this are gonna happen Exactly. So what does this affect? So now you, you can't get on Netflix or what, what, what does it really affect? Well, that's a difficult question to answer because everybody's experience of it seems to be a little bit different. Hmm. Officially, you have no access to the PlayStation Network and you have no access to that Quirosity video service thingy that Sony is is offering. I'm not even quite sure how to pronounce it. The one that starts with a Q <laughs> that nobody uses. Yeah. Um, now it starts to get a little uh, weird. I mean, the, for the first couple of days of the outage, you were still able to play some games online. Um, I'm actually part of the uh, Infamous 2 uh, user-generated content in beta that okay. just started. Right. Uh, you were able to access those servers for a couple of days. I have been able to access Netflix throughout all of this. Okay. It tries to log me in twice when I first launched the application. And both times, it tells me that there's been an error, and then after it tells me that there's been an error, and it asks me to back out of the login screen, it just gives me me my Netflix queue as if nothing is going on, but the guy who sits next to me at work says he can't even get that far. He can get as far as viewing his queue, mm -hmm. but when he tries to actually launch anything, it just hangs. Ah. Netflix is a third-party service, so right. it makes sense that you would be able to have access to that even if the rest of the network was down, mm -hmm. because it's not going through Sony's servers. But then at the same time, you would think that logically, okay, so maybe a game from EA, like Madden or something, you should be able to connect to those servers, but those games seem to be offline as well, so... Again, this all comes down to Sony's refusal to give us any good information about what services even are being impacted. And maybe the, maybe the whole shutdown is just a ploy, and they're gonna when they come back, they're gonna 
have released PlayStation Smell-O-Vision. There are a lot of conspiracy theories uh, running around on the internet right now uh, saying that the, the timing of all this is really uh, coincidental, given yeah. that E3 is just around the corner. Yeah. There are a few people that think that they're going to do something like uh, do away with the free version of the PlayStation Network altogether, since uh, Sony has already proven that people are willing to spend 50 bucks for what is essentially a free service with a few extra bells and whistles. It's hard to say. I do think that there is a lot more going on than Sony is telling us, but mm. Sony's not really telling us anything, so what does that prove? Yeah, and that would be a pretty crappy way to introduce anything, except Smell-O-Vision. Smell-O-Vision! Can I break in with my uh, my Sony complaint? Here we go. <laughs> Absolutely. This was from a long time ago. This was from this was from 121 days ago, and I never I never mentioned it. This is from December 26, 2010. Over 120 some days ago, uh, DC Universe Online beta. I got that because I'm in a PS Plus, you know. So uh, I saw the beta, and they said you could download it now and give it a shot. And it was, and I know that DC Online is being affected by this this whole outage. So I said, okay, and it said 123 megs. And I said, there is no way that this is 123 megs. As soon as I download... The installer's 123 megs, but yeah, the game's got to be huge. (laughs) Right. And that's how they get you. They say, yeah, 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 it's only only little. So I put down 123 megs. Then uh, right away I needed uh, an upgrade to uh, version 1.3 of the beta, the online beta. So that was another 123 megs. So, all right, I got 123 megs. Maybe it is only 103 megs because it just replaced itself. I watched the game, and as it sinks assets, uh, it's going to sink assets. So I said, okay. And at the time, I was still doing the Chikara podcast at GoGo. So I uh, went up and into my uh, office and did a second pass of the GoGo to uh, the second pass of uh, editing things that I used to do uh, back in December. And when I came back a half hour later, it said that it still had over 14 gig to download. Oh my lord! Yeah, it was it was around a 15 gig uh, download. <laughs> so, what you know? Come on, guys! If you're gonna give people any types of betas, put a cap on it. You know, four gig is like insane, and one gig is even unreasonable. But I mean, if it's gonna be a new game, uh, now what you're doing? How did you uh, start creating content for it? Did they? Is the game out? First of all, okay. I don't know. So, so let's talk about happier things now. Okay. For those of you who aren't aware, Infamous Two is the sequel to a game from a couple years ago called Infamous. It, it was an open world style game in which you played a guy who was in a city that had just had a, a giant explosion that had leveled it, and the city itself is quarantined, which is easy to do because it's on an island, and so they just cut off the bridge, and you're all stuck there. Over the course of the game, you discover that you have powers that are based on uh, electricity. And as you go through the game, you you level up and you get more powers. One of the things about the game was that there was a big moral choice, mm-hmm. you know, here and there. Uh, you could choose to either be a good guy or a bad guy. And depending on which route you went, there were certain missions that would be locked off and certain others that would be opened, certain powers that would be locked off and certain others that would be opened. And, you know, if you were a trophy fiend, you had to play the game twice, once to get the good guy and stuff and once to get the bad guy stuff. 
Infamous 2 is continuing with that same basic theme. The end of Infamous 1 reveals to the hero that there's a big brawl a-coming and he's not yet strong enough. So he goes to another city, this time it's sort of based on New Orleans, to uh, you know learn more about his past and learn more about his abilities. The big innovation with this game is that they are offering a toolkit for users to create missions uh, within the city. Sort of a, a of a halfway point between the Mod Nation Racers approach, which is, you know, we are a very stylized game that is about racing, and we will give you a lot of tools to create things that are very racing centric, that are easy to use, but you can only make a racing game. Mm-hmm. Versus the big little big planet approach, <laughs> which is this is basically an entire engine in a box, and you can make just about anything that you can possibly dream up if you're willing to sink a lot of time into learning the tools. Mm-hmm. The approach that uh, Infamous 2 is taking is what you are making is missions that take place in the open world of the game. And the way it's going to be integrated is all of the uh, missions that users create will be uploaded to a central server. And when you're running around the city, normally on your radar will appear little icons to indicate you know story missions and side missions that are part of the game. The user-generated content is going to be also appear right there in your mini-map. And there will be filters that you're going to have to set to, to specify how you want uh, missions to be revealed to you, which you kind of have to do because otherwise there's going to be <laughs> tens of thousands of little active spots in your map every time you yeah. take a step. And that's not really going to do anybody a lot of good. Uh, the toolkit is is actually very impressive. The game comes, at least, or the beta at least, comes, comes with templates for a, about a dozen different kinds of missions. The go to a top of a building and kill all the enemies there, find somebody who's important and escort them to the city, chase uh, the villain around the buildings until finally he gets away, but because you've chased and you get experience points, that sort of thing. It does offer some of the flexibility of a little big planet insofar as there are um, logical operators uh, that you can add to the game world that modify the game's objects so that they behave the way you want them to. So, you know, you can put two groups of zombies, say, and have one group of zombies attack the player and have the other group of zombies attack, say, a group of innocent tourists. And then you, as the player, have to save the tour... You know, you can create a choice where either you have to save the tourists while fighting off the zombies that are attacking you or sacrifice the tourists, uh, focusing only on the danger to you and focusing on your ability to uh, get whatever you can out of the situation. The moral choice is also a little bit less black and white this time around. You're going to have uh, NPC companions, one of whom represents the good guy choices and the other of whom represents the bad guy choices. (laughs) And depending on how the game progresses, one or two of them, you know, they'll develop different attitudes towards you. And eventually you're going to have to sort of choose one or the other. The one that you choose becomes your ally and the one that you sort of move in the other direction from ultimately will become your ultimate villain (laughs) that you have to deal with by the end of the game. Interesting. uh, Which... is still not quite up to the level of the uh, shades of gray of morality that you can get out of a really good movie. But I think it is definitely taking a step forward in terms of game design. There have certainly been any number of games in the past where the, the players or the choices make do affect game states and, and do affect how NPCs will interact with you. But at the end of the day, 
they've always been cartoonishly obvious. This is the good guy path and this is the bad guy path. So having a situation where the way you interact with characters that are fundamental to the game's story, as opposed to just the shopkeeper who knows that you're somebody who hunts bounties, I think represents another step forward in the evolution of our ability to use this medium to tell stories. And I'm really interested to see how it shows up. Yeah. Now, did they send you a disc? Was this a downloadable? How how do you get the beta and does it contain the full game or just... Uh, this this was version? a download. There was a contest that I entered. It was an email raffle, essentially. And everybody who uh, won the raffle were sent a code. If you got the code and you haven't put it in yet, you may be stuck for a few days. <laughs> the company is Sucker Punch and they say that on their Facebook page right. and on their Twitter feed, they are doing contests still. There are a few codes left and they'll be giving them out to people that are interested. It was a download, but it, as opposed to the uh, deceptive nature of the DCU, when I went to download it from the store, it said it was 1.6 gigs and it was in fact 1.6 gigs. Okay. What is downloaded is it looks like pretty much the full game engine in terms of the first section of the city that you have access to. Obviously in all these open world games, the city is divided into three or four sections and you get access to further parts of it as the game progresses. Uh, right now you've only got access to the first portion of it and there is no content from the game developers in terms of missions. There is content in terms of tools that you can use to build your own missions. So there's props that make sense in the game world. You can make NPCs appear that have different characteristics and you can download missions that other people have uploaded or at least in theory we will be able to once the PSN is back online. Okay. Sucker Punch is taking a really refreshing approach with this beta, I think. They have some ideas about what will and will not be balanced in terms of the user's ability to create missions and integrate them directly into uh, gameplay. They don't actually know if they're right. So basically what they're doing is they're letting normal people play in the sandbox for six to eight weeks to see how people actually treat it and then base what the final product is going to look like on that data. Okay. Now I heard about something like this happening with South Park. I don't know what's going on with it. Maybe I shouldn't even brought it up, but uh, something about, uh, you know, the fans create South Park episodes or something this season. Nothing? I, I haven't actually watched South Park in about five years, so I'm no, not just, sure about that one. I see the commercials on Comedy Central and it says you go to, uh, you know, ComedyCentral.com and, and, and the fans will create episodes of South Park. Now, do you see this as a laziness on the game developers or... <laughs> Or as a next wantable feature for all of our games. Um, you know, Kyle and I actually had a debate about this very topic over on the, uh, the WeTalkGames.com social networking community. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately it comes down to whether the developers just use this as an engine mm -hmm. and uh, leave it sparse of content or whether they use it as sort of a value add to get more replayability out of what is essentially a single-player narrative-driven game. The double-edged sword of the ever-increasing technology and our ever-increasing sophistication with the tools is that we can get games that tell very compelling stories. But then you, you, know, you wind up with a game like Heavy Rain, which was an incredibly unique experience and told an incredibly compelling story and I got so wrapped up in it that I finished the game in about a week. Mm -hmm. 
and then realized that I really had no reason to go back and play it again mm-hmm. because as compelling as the story was, a lot of what it was compelling about it was the fact that I didn't know what was going to come next and I wanted to see how the story unfolded. And, you know, there were a couple of what were obviously critical decision points that I saved so that I could go back to and see well, what happens if I take path A versus what happens if I take path B. You know, the game did a very good job of disguising what was essentially a choose-your-own-adventure story. It had a lot of branching and it had a lot of interactivity, but it was essentially a choose-your-own-adventure story. And so once you've played through it, unless you're a fanatical completist that wants to get every trophy and see every ending, there's really no good reason to, to, to play through it again. As a quick aside, this is part of the reason why the piracy landscape is so different for music than it is for movies because aside from the fact that music files are smaller and therefore easier to move over the internet the way people use music is they put it on in the background while they clean house or while they drive to work or uh, while they engage in other activities while they're having a party the way people watch movies is they sit down and they watch them from start to finish so you're going to get a lot more need to have a copy of the music because you're going to want to put it on in the background again mm-hmm. then you are going to have a copy of the movie and you know these video games are, are a similar situation so if they implement this stuff in such a way that it allows people to basically play in somebody else's sandbox mm-hmm. This, to me, is sort of the digital equivalent of kids who would go out and see a Star Wars movie, and they thought the movie was awesome. So then when they got to school the next day, they would say, I'm Princess Leia, and I'm Luke Skywalker, and I'm Han Solo, and I'm Jar Jar Binks. Well, nobody ever said I'm Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Use the movie as a jumping-off point, but ultimately form their own stories as they you know, played on the playground. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, this is a, a very, very good way to expand the story of the game. You know, you, you see a lot of this in the uh, SmackDown versus Raw stuff with the storyline creation tools. Uh, some people create their own stories out of whole cloth, especially in this year since you can uh, u- utilize user-created wrestlers much more freely than you could in the previous version. And there are some people that just create whole new storylines out of thin air. There are other people who take the wrestlers that are part of both the game and the television show and say, well, if I was booking it, I would have done it like this instead of like that Hmm. and there are some people who use that as a jumping off point to introduce their own elements to the story that we're already familiar with if the user community treats this in a similar way then i think there's a very interesting potential for taking a very strong narrative and expanding it in a whole new direction now the other half of that is Already in the, uh, the the Sucker Punch does include a few sample missions to give you a sense of what the potentials are for the toolbox. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is one mission that I call Little Big Infamous <laughs> because what it basically is is they've taken the concrete riot control blocks uh, that police will lay down in like a concert or something to create a, a direction for pedestrian traffic flow. And they suspend them maybe 100 feet in the air there's absolutely no connection to anything. They're literally just concrete blocks that are floating there. And you walk along one concrete block, and there's a little tank of propane that mimics your movement along the other block. There's obstacles in the way of the propane, and you have to jump and duck on your track so that the propane imitates your movements and makes it to the end of the track intact. And it's a fun little diversion, and it's a nice little challenge. And oh my lord, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that the game is otherwise about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that is pretty bizarre. 
And that works in something like a little big planet because the whole concept of little big planet is it's an alternate reality where the ideas that we have and the daydreams that we have and the subconscious thoughts that we have all just kind of percolate and, and go there to live. So, it, you know, there, there is no sense of reality grounding it. So you can do literally anything you want and not have it seem out of whack. Yeah. Something like an infamous is very directly rooted in a... You know, obviously it's not reality because obviously we're not living in a city that has had a, a massive electrical discharge killing thousands of people and superpowered humans running around shooting at each other. But it's at least grounded in the rules of the reality that we're familiar with. Uh, it, you know, there are some concessions made for the sake of the narrative, but you expect cars to be heavy and to stay on the ground unless somebody really, really strong picks them up and hurls them. You expect concrete blocks falling to either crack the ground where they land or damage any person that they land on. So working within those constraints to make content that makes sense is a little bit more limited than it would be in something like a little big planet. And so far, there's no indication in the tools that are available that they're going to impose any similar limits on the creativity of players. The last thing I think about when I think about Infamous is irritating stick with a propane tank. Exactly. Now, did uh, are you going to be able to make level 1-1 one, one of uh, Super Mario Brothers? That's what I need to know. Well, so far there's no pipes. <laughs> okay. So uh, the, the, the ability to uh, jump down into the little coin world is going to be somewhat compromised. But otherwise, yeah, you probably could, and somebody probably will. Although that does bring up an interesting point. One of the things that makes Little Big Planet revolutionary is the fact that there is essentially a 3D modeler grafted into the thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's no shortage of content provided uh, either by Media Molecule or by the user community of things that you can grab you know, fully formed and just plop into your games. But if you really want to take the time and learn the tools, you can create literally anything, including the pipes from Mario, Super Mario Bros. World 1-1. Uh, there doesn't seem to be anything like that in Infamous 2, from what I can see in the beta. There are a few rows where it looks like uh, you can load additional content packs in. Uh, Obviously, those content packs don't exist yet. So it would be a safe assumption that they're planning on releasing DLC in the future that allows you, you know, that gives you new elements to play with in your sandbox. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, from what we see now, you will be restricted to the elements that Sucker Punch chooses to provide you with. Maybe you could, like, build a a Qbert, a pyramid, out of propane tanks and then you you know paint them different colors and then uh, you have your villains chasing after you as you you jump up and down and then you land on a some type of flying disc that will take you to the top of the pyramid that i think you actually could create because one of the things in the game is that cole is constantly sucking power out of some things and adding power to other things and he can so fly you can very easily bit, right? uh, use that mechanic to uh you know to, to implement the color changes you jump around on the cubes the flying disc might be a little tricky but i've only just started looking at it so but he, he can fly temporarily right that is one of the powers that he got toward the end of the first infamous game mm-hmm. at the, the the way the beta is presented you have a limited subset of the powers that one would suppose are ultimately going to be made available to you in the game, okay. and you don't really have a way to power them up, and flight is not currently among them. I see, I see. But, you know, when, when the full release comes out, who knows? All right, man. Hey, Tupia, it's great to hear from you again on the We Talk Games, because of we, we see you on the, on the boards there, and we miss hearing your West Coast voice happening. It's... 
uh, it's such a uh, such a distinguishable accent that I really don't hear at all. Are you f- originally from the West Coast? I am originally from the West Coast. I'm from all over California. Okay. You know, people whose parents are in the military and they go from mm-hmm. base to base to base, they call themselves an army brat. I was a Silicon Valley brat. Instead of going from base to base to base, we went from startup to startup to startup. I see. Okay, interesting. All right, man. Uh, well, we'll see you on the We Talk Games board and hear from you again in the stream. Absolutely. Good to be back and, uh, you know, look for some bobbles coming up and definitely uh, look for me to have a little bit more to say when Infamous 2 finally comes out and we can uh, see the fruits of the beta. Right on, man. Take care. Tupai R, the video game intellect of the show, I believe. That's what I like to call him. Hey, you know who I haven't spoken with? One of my favorite people persons. Let's get Eric Alex on the line. Open it. Open. Eric Alex, go. Hey, Wiggly, long time no talk to. Oh, I missed hearing your voice. You're one of my favorite commentators on We Talk Games. I hear ratings have been down because I haven't been on. <laughs> Is that why? Okay. <laughs> well, at least now we have a reason. <laughs> hey, man, what have you been playing lately? I don't know. I haven't been as obsessed with one game lately as I as I usually am. I'm kind of bouncing around, playing some old games, which uh, you might appreciate. Yeah, very good. That's what I like to hear about. I picked up on the Steam a while back. They had uh, Titan Quest and the expansion for Titan Quest come out. It, it was uh, came out in 2006, and Steam had it on sale for something like $5 for both of them. Oh, okay. Switch is, uh, I, I was interested in playing this game when it came out back in the day, mm-hmm. and, because it's a, it's a Diablo clone. Okay, all right. And I really liked Diablo and Diablo 2. Um, and I, I, it's a Greek mythology theme, so I was kind of interested in it. I, I really like Greek mythology quite a bit. Yeah, me too. And uh, it's it's a for five dollars. It's a great game. It's uh, it still looks pretty good too. I, I'm kind of surprised by how decent the graphics are. I mean, the sprites are pretty small, mm-hmm. uh, but mm. they're 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 clear and easy to see, which. Uh, I tried the torchlight demo not too long ago, and I, I it was kind of muddy on my screen. I couldn't see the monsters a lot of the time, and okay. kind of detracted from it. But I didn't have this problem with Titan Quest. Now, is it more like the graphics of of Diablo two, or more like Diablo one? It looks a lot like Diablo two. It plays okay. a lot like Diablo two. And when you say Greek mythology, now is it is it pretty accurate on the heroes, or do they embellish uh, upon it? They, they... It's you know it's. Uh, it's sort of a pastiche, I, and I, I haven't gotten that far in the game because I've got kind of alt mania and playing four different characters and at about uh-huh. the same clip, and I haven't gotten all that far. I haven't gotten past the first act oh, okay. for any of my characters yet, and I guess the second act takes place in Egypt and the third act takes place in Asia. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Well, so I guess it kind of leaves the the Greek mythology behind after a while. Well, it's kind of spread all into those places and yeah. borrowed, borrowed from those places as well. So, uh, you know, it's not, not too far of a stretch. If you played God of War, mm. uh, God of War had all of the, you know, all of the monsters from Greek mythology mm-hmm. as run of the mill enemies. Like there were Minotaur monsters and gorgon monsters despite the fact that these were in the actual mythology these were single creatures mm-hmm. this this game kind of takes that same liberty with things you'll you'll go into an area and there's a 
a ton of gorgons all over the place and you have to kill all the gorgons and uh, okay. so it's not it's not super accurate <laughs> gotcha now do they show uh the mating with the bull to produce the minotaur or anything like that <laughs> no, they kind of skip over the whole <laughs> zeus's How aspect of okay. mythology but gotcha. all right very good <laughs> it's an interesting game I, I like one of the things they one of the things i really like about it is there's a lot uh, six or eight different classes or skill trees you can pick from and you pick one at level two uh and there's stuff like war which makes you a better warrior and there's defense which makes you a guy that's good with a shield or there's various magical types like storm summoning and uh, earth whatever and then the interesting thing is at level eight or nine you get to pick a second one of them so there's a ton of different things you can do to make your character unique to your to your play style. Like if you want to make a uh, one of my characters is an assassin. I took warfare and rogue as my two classes. So I I've got du- dual wielding from the warfare tree and poison damage from the rogue tree, and it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, the the character building is really fun in it. It's actually a little bit more complex than something you see in Diablo 2 where there were, there were different trees, but they were all for the class you chose. Is this a team battle, or you mentioned changing classes, or is it just a solo act here? I've only played it uh, single player. I think you can play it over the internet. Okay. And a lot of the powers, actually, well, some of the powers for each of the characters will affect your allies. So I, I've kind of avoided those powers because I've been playing it single player. And it's an older game. It's tough to find other players for older games. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that's uh, probably a part of the game that I, I will miss out on. All right. If it goes on sale again on Steam, it's well worth your $5. I don't actually know how much the expansion adds. It seems to add some quality of life stuff like a a better inventory management system and things like that i got them both at the same time so i can't really comment too much on what the base game was like without the expansion right yeah I'm with, I, I'm, I think I'm it i think it added one other character class too i think the dream character class was specific to the expansion okay but don't quote me on that <laughs> yeah it's like the sonic when they when they came out with the dreamcast sonic in the downloadable fun at home yeah i got the expansion pack right away i have no idea what it did for me except maybe put a letter behind the name sonic i'm not sure (laughs) sonic e yeah for expansion sonic r for (laughs) ripoff are they ever going to make a good sonic game again I don't know. I still have Sonic Rainbow Sonic or something. Uh, you know, I, I think I played a tiny bit of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's called Sonic Colors on the Wii. And I played a tiny bit of it, and it's like half and half. A lot of it is more based on a side-scrolling action platform game. But mm-hmm. then it's it's still set in like a pseudo-3D, and things come in and out of, of 3D and go back. So it's it's sort of like half good, I guess, but uh, <laughs> it lost my interest after the first level. But yeah. one day I'll go back to it, one day. Yeah. I picked up a, a game. I, I played the demo for a game called Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, which was released not too long ago on the uh, Xbox Live Arcade. Okay. 
And after I played the demo for a little bit, I'm like, well, I just I got to buy this one apparently. <laughs> so I, I plunked down the money for it, and uh, I'm really enjoying this game. I, I put a bunch of hours into it. Um, it's basically Columns the RPG. Um, what? You, that's that's what I said. Well, see, here's the thing. I don't really like puzzle games very much, mm-hmm. and I think it's because of this lack the lack of storyline. Uh, there's no consequence to your actions, so yeah. why are you bothering? That's yeah. kind of the problem I have with them. But then that Puzzle Quest game came out a while back, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, well, I can play Bejeweled and get experience points and get special powers for Bejeweled, and there's a plot, right. such as such as it was, you know. <laughs> sure. This this uh, this this Clash of Heroes game it um, it gives you it divides the screen into a, a battlefield. And your troops are on the bottom, and the enemy's troops are on the top. And the object is to send columns of attacking troops from your side up to th- up through the enemy formation and do damage at the uh, other end of the screen, which is the hit points of the uh, enemy general. When you make a column of three similar colored troops, they become an attack formation, and a little countdown, a turn countdown starts on them. And when they finish counting down, they charge up through the enemy. Uh, and the enemy's doing the same thing on his turns. If you make a horizontal column, they become a wall, which blocks a lot of damage. So you kind of jostle back and forth and try to block the enemy's incoming attacks with walls. Because you usually get two or three turns to react to something that the enemy has done. Oh, okay. And the, the plot line... Well, the, the plot line seems to be a little bit more robust than it was in Puzzle Quest. The plot line involves these five characters who are... They witness a horrible tragedy and then are split to the far corners of the Earth and have to work their way back through their individual plot lines and uh, and defeat the evil enemy. I haven't finished it yet, so I'm not sure what exactly happens at the end. So you, you play each of these characters in turn, and the characters are each put into a situation where they command one of the five factions that's present in the game. So you start off playing an elf, commanding an elf army of archers and bears and pixies and deer. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then you progress on to the knight character, and the knight can, commands human forces of knights and swordsmen and uh, brick walls. And uh, and then you go on from there. I think the next one is the undead. Uh, there's also going to be a demon army, and uh, I think the other one is a magic user army. So that should be interesting. <laughs> but it's pretty fun. Uh, there's not much in the way of you don't get to really character build. There's not really choices as you level up. You just get sort of a blanket increase in your abilities. I'm going to have to demo that. If you've played any of the might and magic games that have come out in the last 10 years or so. They all have sort of a, uh, a kind of a cartoony style. This one looks very, say, 16-bit era sprites. Oh, cool, cool. So it's it's got kind of a fun vibe. The, the character designs are, uh, they're nice, you know. Nothing to really, like, make waves about, but they're, they're, they're likable characters, and the plot line seems to be, uh, it's not something to laugh at. It's a serious plot, and... The dialogue is well written. So, on the whole, it's a lot of fun, especially for a budget title on the Xbox Live Arcade. Right on. Hey, you know, when you brought up Columns with Role Playing Game, of course, the game that's 
immediately pops to mind, which really has no role-playing elements, but it does have characters inside of Tetris, is Tetris Guide N. And I talked about this uh, ad nauseum. Uh, we had Hank Rogers on, the, the uh, person that was responsible for that back when his Blue Planet software was called Bulletproof Software, and this is an import. And I think it was the first time I encountered the word Guide N and, and just fell in love with that word uh, because mm-hmm. it means side story. I think I remember you talking about this game. Yeah, it, you you have uh, different characters, like a wolf that's a samurai, uh, and then a pumpkin-headed fella. You have witches. You have all different types of very interesting characters that could do different types of magic while you play head-to-head Tetris. And this was for the Super Nintendo. And uh, like one of the really neat power-ups, so you, you would try to clear levels with these little circle balls and these power orbs... Uh, when you built up a certain amount of them, you would push up on your control pad and would perform a certain magic trick, depending on how many of these power orbs you had. And the oh. one was a great one, which instead of just, you know, swapping your play field with your opponents, which could be very boring, uh, this actually would bring a scanner line down and then it would do the modem sound and fax your, your, uh, you know, your, your play field to your opponents and vice versa. So, you know, it was these little elements that these little touches, which were pretty cool. Once again, not, not a lot of role playing, but, uh, definitely characters inside of a more traditional puzzle game. Yeah. And, uh, this doesn't sound like it's exactly that puzzly or is it? It's more of a head-to-head puzzle game. The puzzle itself doesn't work as a puzzle game on its own, without the uh, without the enemy there doing whatever. Okay. You know, doing doing the uh, attacks back at you. It's it's not all there. They do a good job of like um, mixing it up on you. There'll be missions where you'll be fighting some guy and you're trying to get into his castle, and there's two pulleys in the background. And the pulleys have to be hit at the same time to open the castle gates, and that's how you win the fight. I see, I see. Okay. But he's got a bunch of troops in front of the pulleys stopping you from doing that. So you have to, you have to kind of concentrate over uh, in the proper areas and send your columns up to hit the pulleys, and it, it makes things interesting. Another game that always springs to my mind is Odama for the for the GameCube. If you ever, ever can get a hold of this, you'll notice it immediately if you see it on the shelf because it's an oversized box. But it's a pinball game where you're in charge of feudal Japanese troops to storm castles, and of course it's pinball, and there's giant, uh, you know, your family's tell my daughter I love her, and things like this. Your little characters are screaming, and the way that you tell your troops to progress uh, up to storm different castles is by using the microphone that comes with the game uh, attached to your your controller, and you shout commands at uh, at your pinball machine to tell your feudal Japanese troops to. To uh, attack or draw back or things like this, which has absolutely nothing to do with puzzles. But one thing that we forgot to mention when I was talking with Kyle Von Kubik is we both gave pretty much a thumbs down on Castlevania Puzzle Encore of the Night. And I have to say I revisited it because I was like, well, maybe I didn't give it enough of a chance. And that's exactly what had happened. Now, this is a a very columns-like game. Two gems will fall simultaneously and you try to clear the different levels and line them up. And there's also uh, like um, certain gems that will fall that have a shell around them. So you need to clear out uh, a 
line of of other gems around it and then that'll break the shell and now you can clear that line and i thought it was just okay you do this and then you you do spells on people if you clear enough lines but actually even if your gems get all the way to the top you will not lose because if you notice at the very top of your screen there's a hp meter you actually have health points so even after your all your gems go up to the top it'll just clear some lines down below and you keep going until your health points are used up it's really based upon equipping your gear as well there's a lot of gear for you to get there's magic items for you to equip and these give you different types of abilities on your alucard uh, character so it has a lot of the characters from symphony of the night and you do progress through the castle looking themed map screens like you you see in symphony of night or any of the castlevania stories do you have to actually move your character around and jump and stuff? No, you don't jump. You just move from one place on the map to another, and then either you have a battle there or you don't. Oh, okay. And there's also boss battles. Another element of it is timing. You will notice that there's an hourglass. It's not based on how many lines you clear necessarily. It's based on how many lines you can clear in each movement of that hourglass. So each time the hourglass turns back over, you try to rush, 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 rush. And then whichever character did the most in that hourglass turn wins huh. like that little round. I mean, it doesn't go by rounds. It, it, it's just constantly moving and constantly moving. But it's a lot deeper than I had imagined. Not as deep as Puzzle Quest 2, but uh, definitely a lot deeper than I had given it credit for initially. Yeah. So I really, I really recommend that people give this another chance. Now, I wish they come out with an HD version because I think I'd play it a lot more. But even blown up to two times on your iPad, it still looks pretty good because it's done in all that original pixel art. Yeah. Castlevania Puzzle Encore of the Night. Encore of the Night. Yes. It's, it's got to be the something. Puzzle, the puzzle of the sequel to, to Symphony of the Night. I guess that's what it is. It's the huh. little encore after your after the credits roll. That's wild. Or on the load screens. All right, man. Well, it sounds like some good stuff uh, and uh, some good old stuff and some good old new things. Yeah. All right, Pally. Well, it's great to talk to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. I think it's uh, just about time for the council. Uh, hold on a second here. There we go. All right, Keith, let's bring the boys back on for the We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires. All right, council, are you there? Yes. Okay, very good. Johnny Capcom's here. Uh, Calvin Cubics. I am here as well. Calvin Weetabix. Weetbix. What's it called? I don't know. You eat it. No, John eats it. Weed John a, eats it because he's European. But, yeah, what's it called? Weedabix. Weedabix is, <laughs> is. Uh, what I thought was a tie-in cereal to Double Dragon on the Master System. That's I right. I remember that episode. Yeah, I think I was there. You, you may, may have been. been. Wow. So today's show, we talked a lot about Gaming Universe B and uh, New Retro. Retro, I guess it's called. Uh, Retro. <laughs> so let us continue with the council and try to figure out what companies are doing right, where they may be uh, 
doing things that we don't care about so much perhaps a little bit of history of future thinking and how it either happened or didn't happen and uh where we'd like to see it go universe b go well universe a go the way of universe b okay i gotcha yeah so i'll start why no all right hey hey you know nintendo they try to do these new things you wave around a magic wand, you draw on something, you uh, have two screens on something, you do yeah. 3D. You have your eyes assaulted by 3D. Now, which one of those is the new technology that Nintendo's trying for the first time? None of them. Right. Yeah, they've, we've, all, we've had this, you know, with uh, Wario Twisted, which, you know, fantastic. But they've had motion control and things. They've had dual screens since the original yeah. Game & Watches. And, uh, well, they didn't really have drawing on something, but um, to take Vectrus, a... Vectrix did. Vectrix did as well. Yeah. But I'm, I hold in so, I'm holding something in my hand that's just going to take a, a quick sidetrack. Not on I the want, show. Because I want to go back to Nintendo. But <laughs> <clears throat> here's my box version of this title uh, with one of my favorite games of all time, Lights Out. And, ah, okay. Uh, you know, here's a handheld mm. that you plugged into your phone line and you played games online with a touch screen the game.com surprisingly released by tiger <laughs> there's no surprise there actually if you've held it in your hands and played it there's well, no surprise that tiger made this i know but think of the two technologies uh, that uh, were new to gaming let's oh, say sure. i mean it was nothing new to have a modem on your console it was nothing new to have a modem on your your pc or your mac uh, it was nothing new to have a touch screen on your palm pilot or the newton yeah how can i forget the new I'm, I'm looking at my uh e-mate that's why i couldn't think of newton which the e-mate was also a newton but sort of half the power in a much bigger laptop in case uh, a precursor itself to the toilet seat ibook Mm. But, you know, the TigerGame.com, pretty far advanced. You had your calendar. You had you had things that, you, well, you had things that you'd see coming out on your Nintendo DS when that came you out. You could surf, uh, surf the web uh, as long as it was um, text-only websites, text-based websites. That was a thing. I mean, back then, you're like, I don't know. I guess you could hook it up to your phone or something. And I don't know anyone <laughs> that did it, you know. But, yeah. uh but it, it, it speech and state of the art sound. It had internet email access with optional modem cart. You know how that speech sound sounded, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, because instead of trying to do speech synthesis, they did sampling, and their sampling rates were abysmal. Uh, Two bit sampling, five bit sampling. Uh, Built in organizer function, phone book, calendar, calculator, automatic high score save, two cartridge slots. Well, I'm just thinking there uh, about the high score save so this is the first game center right for your uh, your eye devices uh, and also yeah. it had the first uh, photo slideshow or as it was also known Duke Nukem <laughs> <laughs> I liked playing Duke Nukem actually I was that was definitely one of the carts I bought but now I realize why it had two cartridge slots because the modem had to go into one cart slot while the, or the uh, rumble pack 
<laughs> well, that's the Dreamcast. I'm sorry, but it, it also had built-in solitaire and it had a library of exciting game cartridges, like Virtua Fighter. That was another yeah. one that I got for that. So, I mean, that was kind of ahead of its time. Now, getting sure. back to when Nintendo did this with their touchscreen on the bottom and their dual screen on the top. There were so many things that I didn't realize Nintendo had already tried. The Virtual Boy, of course, I got that, the 3D. I've been playing Galactic Pinball recently, and you know what? I, I really like that system. It's great to play on the bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I got to tell you, man, my neck is killing me from being... There's no comfortable way, unless you like pile a stack of books up, or somehow put this on a shelf on the wall and then stand up and do it. It's very difficult to, to play that system. It's very painful. Well, I see that you found a, a solution to that problem yeah. uh, looking at the album of the show i still have duct tape in my uh, i don't have hair i <laughs> i still have duct tape stuck in my ears it's uh, a little well, bit i would have duct tape stuck in my hair if you, i was to, you to you would you would be yeah. in trouble friar tuck would happen when you tried to take that off i have to cut a mullet in that would probably go with this retro gaming uh, trend here but what i didn't realize was something i've been playing recently was the uh, the nes disc system mm. and when it a new told, case of rubber bands for that sometimes you just have to reach in there and spin it with your fingers gotcha uh and just get it going a little bit like jazzy jeff spinning the tables oh my gosh this episode's gonna be like eight hours long and full of two games and the rest pop culture Come on, references. it's fun. Okay. So when you're waiting to choose either side A or side B of the diskette, I guess that's what it's called, Mario and Luigi are running around uh, and like bopping things and doing things that we sort of see on the waiting screen for your Nintendo DSiWare to download when they're throwing the, the water in the, the gimmick or even when they're running back and forth on your Wii when you're waiting for some WiiWare to download. So there's so many things things that they've done in the past and brought back and we take for granted we think it's new so what of nintendo have they done right do you think well they definitely learn from their mistakes and um they're always uh, they're the company and i've talked about this at length many times that uses old technology and repackages it and uh makes a lot of money off of it usually so what they do right well it would appear that they pretty much paved the way for the motion controls, uh, <laughs> leaving Sony and uh, Microsoft in the dust. Um, one could argue that now Microsoft and, and Sony have better motion control peripherals than Nintendo, but Nintendo got there, milked the market for all it was worth, and left it a decaying corpse for the other two to pick at. Sony and Microsoft sort of came in right when everyone was sick of motion controls. Right. But I think when if you talk about the game, Games. Yeah. I mean, what what games can you say are better on? Definitely not nothing for the move. Oh yeah, no, and I'm not even saying the game so much, and I'm not even really talking about the Wii. Like this is something that Nintendo's been trying in, in different iterations throughout their mm -hmm. tenure of being a game developer. I mean, you, one could even look at the Power Pad and say that that's an early example of them trying to incorporate some sort of motion controls nah. into uh, video games, and they kind of uh, DDR would oh, take man. that you know yeah. uh, torch and run with it many years later. Right, right. To me, um, to me, Nintendo are like. A an oddly evolving species you know their output has uh, similar traits when you go down through the the more primitive 
output from the company mm -hmm. and there they seem to be intent on retaining certain features like uh, dual screens and stuff like that yeah. and then of course I mean you have failures like the virtual boy but you know again the 3D trade will carry on and so on and so forth and hopefully I haven't sounded like an idiot saying that but oh, <laughs> it just true. seems to me like that there's there's certain things they always want to do but some things they reach for and fail and then you know we'll adapt that and into you know to a better use later on and uh, I don't know it just seems like they've got a general aesthetic they want to go for and they'll, they'll keep going until it works I guess definitely I think that the the Wii has encompassed that the most because of their whole like, design theory which was let's not make the most powerful system let's make in their opinion the most fun system and even to look at the Wii remote and then bring it back to the days of the Nintendo Zapper or the um, even those early light gun games that came out from Nintendo mm -hmm. uh, you know the, the, the Wii remote is as much a motion control as it is a light gun yeah. and um it's something that nintendo has stuck with for many years yeah that immediately sprung to mind their cowboy toy that they released in conjunction with sega there was an early zapper and you shot the cow i owned it and you yeah. shot the cowboy and he fell over he had strings in him and then uh you know batteries and he fell over and then you'd press the button or it was a certain amount of time i think and then he he uh the ropes tightened and he and he stood back up right and, you know, playing a Wii, I think we got jaded to that system, and we're missing out on a lot of stuff. I, I honestly believe at this point now, if you only had the Wii, you could still be enjoying a very good gaming life. And I mean that because... Well, you have to be a certain type of person. You have to be a person that really enjoys the older titles, like for your Genesis, for your Turbo Graphics, for your NES, for your Super Nintendo, for the Neo Geo because they still have it all over the other two companies with their emulation. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Wiggly, what you're doing there is you're describing me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think, you yeah, know, my, my all of us on the show. Yeah. Okay, like you got gotcha, you, so you only have a Wii right now. Yeah, but there's there's really a lot to explore in there. I think they have they have a good catalog of very good games that most of them first party. A couple screwball ones like that that Marble Mania and stuff that we found out about, which aren't stellar in on any level, but they're real video games. And just that huge catalog of of both WiiWare, you know, there's some real gems in there, like World of Goo and, and other things. Oh, the Bit Trip series, mm -hmm. um, and just that emulation. I mean. I went back and looked through some of those games. I was like, man, I, I love this game. I, if I would just turn the system on, I would be enjoying myself. Instead right, well, of, a similar I mean, thing happened with the uh, the GameCube, where everyone was kind of down on the system, right. and then into the next generation uh, after the GameCube, a lot of people were looking back and saying, "Hey, you know that Resident Evil on GameCube was fantastic, and mm -hmm. Mario Sports titles like mm -hmm. Strikers that came out was really good, and Luigi's Mansion was fantastic." People never gave that system its due because it wasn't a powerhouse, and I think we're going to see that with the Wii, and as rumors stir that the next console is on its way from Nintendo. Some of the best games come out uh, at dusk for these systems. Right. You know, even the, the DS had some of uh, its most interesting titles come out only a few weeks before the 3DS launched. Mm-hmm. 
And the 3DS launch has no games that are <laughs> worth looking into. But of course, that's another thing that Nintendo likes to keep as a tradition, which is having a poor launch light up, at least since uh, the 64. Right. One thing in playing the Virtual Boy, which, <laughs> you know, who doesn't love talking about the Virtual Boy? One thing in playing that a lot lately that I realized was, I mentioned this before, right before they were getting ready to produce this and, and going to launch this, the uh, video gun that they used for just the red, those guns dropped in price. And if they could have put the blue and the green in there, we would have had a full color 3D real experience because I got to tell you, I had the VR helmets things, you know, these things that you're supposed to hook up to this or that and you get 3D all around you and television that looks like it's a giant movie screen in front of you and they were just horrible. But the Virtual Boy actually was a good piece of technology. Now, I know J- Japan crapped on it because it was, you know, America's big failure and their flop into the into the market. But even the sound on that, they, they I know Nintendo touted it as 3D sound back then, but the sound was really nice. And, it, you know, it was off these little Game Boy cartridges. But if they just, if they could have pushed a little bit harder and said, listen, we'll put these other two guns in here and then we're going to have a full color 3D system... I mean, they would have just been years and years away from what anybody else could have done. Uh, But there would have been a neat gaming universe B. Mm, Definitely. If you look into the history of that console, our system, there's a myriad of just strange things that happened where it's like they wanted it to fail. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure they they didn't want it to fail. They didn't want to lose money. But um, it just very odd things that happened all around that uh, with Gampoyokoi leaving and uh, just that being the first real failure, really the biggest failure Nintendo ever experienced. And yeah, you're, you're right. If they would have waited only a few more months, they, they could have had a full fully realized, full color 3D system that we probably would have been playing up until uh, maybe the DS, you know, maybe the 3DS. It would have been a whole different route, a whole different evolution of uh, video games. Well, you know, no, Game Boy Advance then? I don't think there would have been a Game Boy Advance if, if that thing was full color, but who knows? There might Virtual have been Boy a... Game Boy Advance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> Well, you know, it was, it definitely wasn't something that you could carry around. It wasn't a portable system. It's a 3D system for a 3D world, Wiggly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, it definitely wasn't a portable system. It really didn't have that going for it. But I would have loved to have seen some link cable games come out for that where you can actually play, play tennis was against it, someone else. Was it ever touted as a portable system or did we all just put that on there because it had the word boy uh, attached to the title? Well, did they ever? They made it, it as a portable. Well, system? they made it break down. It was down. kind of half and half. Yeah, they made it break yeah. down, and they came out with carrying cases. You were supposed to carry it to your friends, and you know, have a have a party, <laughs> taking turns looking in there. Big party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One person gets to play; the others look at them. Who will have it's a like stroke taking first? Bad drugs. You all just end up with headaches, and you know. Yeah. You get to play tennis. Yeah. Some of the, uh, and you want to talk about that, going back years of Nintendo, and this is being becoming a, a legacy of Nintendo, a discussion, I guess. Right. But some of the Game & Watch units, particularly the Verse units, mm-hmm. are not portable either. They're very cumbersome. The ones that have hockey, and uh, there's another one, that have these little 
and they're not even that little discs that are controllers mm. that were hardwired into the system and folding it up. I mean, those were, they, they were tabletop games, gotcha. you know, and that's yeah. what the virtual boy was yeah. a tabletop game. It wasn't Definitely. something you put in your pocket. You couldn't even put the original game boy in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. I have a, like actually, this. Wait a minute, no, I actually have a game boy here. I will see if I can fit it into my pocket. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's in my pocket. You well, remember realize. pockets have oh, grown sorry. over time. <laughs> You couldn't fit in your 1980s uh, you couldn't uh, fit in parachute your Oh, they could have went in your parachute pants, I guess. Yeah, your Zumbas, perhaps. Yeah. Well, another thing I'm we have to... I'm re- getting that out of my pocket. <laughs> yeah, see? <I> <laughs> you have to cut it out. Um, now, before we get too carried away with how great the Virtual Boy was in 3D, remember, it still was pixel art like the Game Boy's pixel art. So, I mean, we can't get too <laughs> crazy about how futuristic the technology was. What I see is I see people going for 3D, 3D uh, machines now. We, we saw Sony. They were probably one of the first companies to be featuring 3D because of their 3D televisions, because of the PlayStation uh, patches to make games 3D and stuff like this. I recently played that other 3D game that I talked about with John uh, during our one-on-one some, at some point. <laughs> but, you know, 3D is one thing. What about our hologram? Are we ready for time traveler now? Oh, you want to talk Finally? about something that was tried decades ago? That yeah. that was Atari's bag. And Atari was trying, I guess, at one point to develop a hologram system. And I remember reading about a prototype that sold for... I don't know six figures on eBay. It was a and all all it was was a prototype shell of, of the handheld system with overlays that you'd slide into the screen that were you know lenticular or or print litho. Mm-hmm. They weren't an yeah, actual. Yeah. It wasn't an actual game. It was just litho that you'd put over the screen so you could have it for a presentation to say yes one day we will have a holographic system and you'll be able to play Superman on it. <laughs> I remember reading about that actually in uh, the Ultimate History of Video Games, but I can't remember why it. Uh, I can't remember why they didn't go with it. But I mean, like the. I mean, have you seen this thing running? Or I know. I, again, I don't. I don't think it was ever a, a uh, realized concept past an art mock-up. Well, did you ever okay. play Time Traveler or Sega's Time Traveler? Okay, so uh, it came again, out in ninety-one. That was going to be my next example of okay. holograms. Yes, I did play that awful but but it had a it had a huge line in in back of it and why because it 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 was full motion video laser disc game Mm -hmm. and it projected the characters into this dome and they would like come out from behind objects which i if memory serves me right the objects were on the play field like there was a sphere and a cone and a a square and much like um Flash forward a few years to Pinball 2000, the video would interact with the physical objects on the play field. I could be wrong. The, the objects might have been, you know, projected as well. But uh, very cool for the time. Like, it was incredible. Much like Dragon's Lair. I mean, mm-hmm. it just yeah. looked better than everything else that was around it. I think there was another uh, hologram game. Uh, with, I just can't remember it right now. But. <laughs> Mad Dog McCree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's not too much that could have made that worse. But I tell you what, that had a lot of lines, too. Sure. Have you ever seen that, uh, you, you know, it was a little film, Iron Man. Have you ever seen uh, that one with uh, Robert Downey Jr.? I have seen this. 
Well, did you see his mock-up machine he was using to make his, his suit? It was like a table and it projected these blue holograms and he can interact with them and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we need. We need <laughs> we need that to be real. Yeah. You know? That'd be cool. And if it has to be real because how else would they have filmed it, you know? Here's the thing that <laughs> that's that's one of my I say that all the time. Yeah, all movie things are real because I saw it right on the, the screen there. How could it not be real? Exactly. Well, how, you know the the iPad. <laughs> uh, I think of the iPad with this because yeah, I me too. With the PlayStation moves gimmicks and the iPad and um, everything else, I found that the the thing that took me out of it the most was and maybe not working just an old fogey one it's piece of crap (laughs) but two because you didn't actually feel anything when you were like petting the the pet right sure you know there was there was no tactile uh sort of really i I (laughs) obviously (laughs) but what i'm saying is i i don't know if that is the direction to go because i i think there's something to be said about Mm. the uh the kinetic portion of the game where you you physically feel like you're doing something instead of just moving a wand around there's no um cause and effect you you see the effect on the screen but you know i go to kick the ipad it's nothing's happening (laughs) right because my foot doesn't have a glowing orb on it exactly yeah well and i guess we got to go towards plasmas i guess so and then, then you can actually you know stick your hand in it and I don't know what plasma would actually do to you. I think it would probably cut your arm off. But yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> How about we just play Legos? There you go. Play them with real things. Physical Legos. Yeah. I mean, you can Physical feel toys. Them, move them around. Well, we, that I, is the thing, though. Like, just uh, the next uh, wave of touchscreen technology is going to be touchscreens that use static electricity to replicate textures and surfaces and gotcha. stuff hmm. so what you'll have is a touch screen that will emulate buttons uh for your phone <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know we're going backwards we're going forwards it's uh, everything know, it, old is new again the one thing is if we do get these digital toys we'll be able to download old transformers and stuff like that uh, you know <laughs> to our uh emulators gotcha, and that gotcha. will be cool Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we we had a we had a council when I talked about Brave Star and all those other toys that had uh, light guns built into them and ones that interacted with the television um, and uh, things like that. There. Uh, sure. Okay, so we we sort of went in a hardware direction. What games have you been really enjoying uh, that just have done it on in, in you know a video game way? I think the iPad being a touch device uh, does video games. You know what I mean? I I didn't really feel it as I was sort of on the fence when it was still on the iPod on the iPhone. But when that iOS came to the pad, I really had a different opinion of the iPad and the iPod. Well, I think it's because the device, much like the Wii, suffered from too many ports. I'm talking about the iPhone and iPod Touch at this point. Too many ports and too much forcing a game onto a device that it really didn't belong on. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we rolled around to later years in the Wii's life and the iPad, now you're seeing games that really can only be played on the device. or play best on the device like you brought up world of goo and i agree that world of goo while it was great on the wii when it first came out it is definitely a a game that was really made whether it knew it or not for the ipad and um 
the kinetics there of moving things around, you know, we talked about a few of those games mm-hmm. uh, when we were just talking earlier. That's a whole nother experience. It's different from the touchscreen experience you got from the DS, which, you know, even towards the end of the DS's life struggled with how do I use this touchscreen on the bottom? Mm-hmm. Most games just use it for a life bar or an inventory. They didn't use it to its fullest ability where you're seeing the, the iPad and maybe it's because of such a low barrier of entry for developers that there's experimental things and there's chances being taken and we're reaping the benefits because you're f- seeing all these games, albeit smaller, you know, much smaller than your traditional uh, console games or handheld games, but at a reduced price and a lot of fun. And again, I think that's why now you can look at a device like the iPad and say, yes, this is a gaming device because there are games for it. It's not we forced a D-pad and an A and B button onto the screen, onto this cramped little screen of an iPod touch. And you're trying to play through the first level of Mega Man, you know? Yeah, that's the thing, though. I mean, you've got developers now from back in the day who didn't have the luxury of a joypad, like guys who used to develop for the Spectrum and the Commodore and all that. Right. And they're developing games now for the iPad and the iPhone and all that. And they are used to building controls out, you know, decent control out of something that may not necessarily work uh, just to look at straight away. Yeah. I think that's the reason, uh, too, that a lot of people are are dipping back into that retro well on every device and every console now with a lot of downloadable content is because now there's really no restrictions as far as what you can do. Whereas back in the day, there were. There were many restrictions, and you saw some of the uh, most iconic games come out of that. I think people um, are, are dipping back into that well because now it's, okay, yeah, I can make something look absolutely amazing it can have uh all the voice acting and a and beautiful music and uh, graphically look realistic but is it fun and i think that's why we're seeing a lot of people go back like with the bit trip series and with uh um, geometry wars and with super meat boy these type of games brought it back to gaming at its purest at least in my opinion where games were just meant to be fun Mm mm-hmm this is before there was an outside influence on the medium as well. Like, remember, in the 32-bit era and onwards, it's like, oh, this, you know, we, we're getting film writers to come right. in and write this stuff, you know? Yes. I mean, uh, games were games back in the day, you know? And these are, uh, like, just simple evolution of the board game, all that good stuff, you know? And uh, that's what we're going back to. In a way. And I think it's cool. I think there's room for everything, though, you know? I agree. And I think people may... And it, it, Definitely in the 32-bit era on, people got wrapped up in this whole thing. And they, even today, they're wrapped up in, you know, our games art. Well, sometimes. And sometimes they're just games. And sometimes they're just, like games, they're just meant to be played for fun. And I think that was lost uh, for a while. And I think we're coming back to that now. Some of the things that I really dig about contemporary titles that are, you know, living in this universe B where the retro uh, philosophies lived on well super meat boy is a perfect example of this it's the type of game that says f you, for, you know, <laughs> lack of a better way it yeah. says there is no hints there is no easy mode there is play the game or don't play the game there is no wussy mode and i hate to you know be as base as i can about it but it, that got lost there's a, a whole mode in bayonetta 
where you can play the game with one hand. Why they chose to do that, we won't discuss. But the fact that you can play through an entire game with one hand just hitting one button, you know, says something. And obviously the reasons why that was done in that particular game is all about gimmick and controversy. And climax attack. Yeah, it's all too often that games have been reduced to the lowest common denominator because at $60 a pop, they don't want to leave people disappointed. But the DLC games that are $5, $10, $15, they can take chances and they can say, hey, you know what? We're going to bring it back to a time where games were hard and games were challenging and you only got maybe two, three games a year and that was it. So you had to make the most of it. I like that philosophy. I like that type of mindset when developing a game. Well, I think that it all started to go downhill as soon as like the PlayStation 1 and the Nintendo 64 came out, the Saturn. They were all trying to go in this polygonal direction. Yeah, who could be more realistic? And mm-hmm. and and that's where I think some of the mechanics... I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good polygon games. In fact, I've just recently been, been playing the original Virtual Fighter and Virtual Fighter 2. Getting back into those, even though... Uh, Virtual Fighter 1 was a great example of a game that can still hold up today. Why? Because they didn't try to get very realistic. They just tried to make a 3D-style game. And they made it look the best that they could for the technology they had and didn't try to get all fancy on top of it. It was right. very simple, very basic shapes, but you understood what was going on. As uh, as more companies started coming out with, uh, with their own 3D games, then everyone tried to push things on top of these polygons that really didn't belong there. And those are the muddy messes that we really can't play anymore. Like, unfortunately, the first Toshinden, when I saw that back in the day, I, you know, I mentioned this almost every show, I just uh, couldn't believe it. But now if you look at it, it's, it's pretty much a mess. To talk about Universe B and all that, I mean, when the the PlayStation came along and obviously that changed the game not to put mm. a pun on things mm-hmm. but um, the way things were progressing before that it was like the Neo Geo and then obviously the Sega Saturn came out and that was supposed to be I've heard some people say that the Sega Saturn was supposed to be a Neo Geo CD that, but without the bad load times and stuff like mm-hmm. that you know because I mean obviously Metal Slug and games like that came out for it and they built it as a 2D system and I mean to think about would games be as big now if they hadn't taken the change to 3D probably not because you can attract a different audience with realistic stuff you know realistic mm-hmm. blood and sex and violence <laughs> and all that kind of stuff you know that you wouldn't necessarily you know people would look at a, I don't know Sinistar and go oh that's <laughs> you know that's a kids game because it's got pixels and all that gorgeous stuff going on in it but um I mean, it's safe to 3D hadn't taken off. Mm. Would we still be seeing 2D games, or would 3D have been an, an inevitability? You know, that's I don't, something I wonder about every now and then. Well, definitely in the states, seeing NBA Shootout and uh, and and the, of course when Madden went to 3D and uh, those type of games that just really exploded the market. Yeah, definitely. Before. I think um, we were more. 
polygon focused than mm-hmm. Japan was uh, because we were really trying to obtain that photorealism in a video game. Uh, and you can see that, you know, very early on. We talked about it. Laserdisc games is a, per- are a perfect example of that. A full motion video games on the Sega CD. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was a, a real school of thought that believed that pixels on a screen, that's passe. Full motion video is the future of video games. Joe Lieberman believed it. Uh, mm. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it, it go you know, it goes to, there definitely was uh, two different schools of thought. Even today, uh, many beautiful pixel rendered 2D games are coming out in Japan with a lot of the JRPGs and they just don't play well here. One, because JRPGs suck, but two, because there's just not an interest for it anymore. Back in the 90s, it was huge because that was as beautiful as it got for the hardware. But nowadays, there's just too many options. And well, not in a bad way. Right, right. Well, I'm very happy with this trend. I think it's it's delivering us a lot of great games that people that are on this show like. And also, we're at a point where I think the polygons are working. You know, everything does look very good. We still have slowdown issues. We still have people uh, pushing the systems, I think, uh, too hard uh, without really uh, tightening their code up so that it, right. it sort of falls apart and it doesn't control that great and stuff like that but i think we're in a a very nice balance right now i look forward to seeing what comes out next speaking of polygons you're seeing what i was talking about uh, early some of these schools of thought for this you know retro feel or arcadey feel because i really do feel that the foundation of this universe be this you know look back or dip back into the retro well uh, stems from either classic arcade or the 8-bit era it's not so much in style always. Like a game uh, like Trials HD had a very arcadey feel about mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but again, it had the polygon graphics, and yeah, they weren't you know the highest end polygon graphics, but they were very nice. They didn't look bad, but it still had some of those philosophies that you'd expect in an arcade game because it was very much sit down, play it, get a good score, and brag about it. You know, there wasn't a story, there wasn't a career mode, there wasn't a, you know, uh, I don't know. They didn't go, keep it simple, stupid, is mm-hmm. basically what I'm trying to get at, is that with those games, you're seeing games now which will use cutting-edge graphics but still have the philosophy of the retro era. Just thinking about it, like with the iPad games, I think we're and and also other handhelds like the Nintendo DS and even the PlayStation, even the PSP a little bit. God of War on the PSP looks great, but a lot of other g- games that they're trying to push polygons around, like on the iPad Mirror's Edge, I think just fails miserably. Their Madden's on there, uh, lousy. I think uh, the the racing games they look they don't look bad, but when they're right. trying to do these polygons, they're really not trying to make it look that good. You know, they're trying to make it uh, good enough i guess we talked about the game rage that looks unbelievable we talked about infinity blade that looks unbelievable using the unreal engine on the ipad is working yes uh, but the game mechanics have to be pretty simple because you can only show so much on screen at one time or the whole thing will fall apart you know they won't look as sharp this brings up another thing uh which i've been thinking about in my head and that is the whole thing about fortunately we don't we don't really hear it too much anymore but the whole thing about casual gamers the casual gaming market 
the hardcore gamers. Uh, I think that's all done now. Can we all agree on that? I don't think yeah, those there is la- no I mean, those labels yet. were stupid to begin with. <laughs> they were. <laughs> Let's look at the iPad and the iPhone and the iPod. People are spending thousands of dollars a month. Can you really call them casual gamers? <laughs> Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? Definitely not. Yeah. And I think it just means like the difference between a casual gamer and a hardcore gamer is that the majority of casual gamers probably talk to the majority of their friends face to face. Yeah, really. I mean, a hardcore gamer is, I guess, someone that just plays first person games. In other words, a dick. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, so. I mean, uh, that, that's a hardcore gamer, I think. Just a dick. They talk to their friends. I'm going to shoot you. Uh, be, uh, because I'd like to go out and do this in the real world, but I'm going to do it on here so I could belittle you and be anonymous and talk, you know, be a jerk be- to you because they're dicks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Are we allowed to say that? On we the can. Show? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's new PG. Oh, We're going wow. to be talking about Dick Tracy at some point anyway, so we can't be censoring that word. <laughs> right. True. Yeah. True. I hope we don't have to talk about that game. Uh, which version? Uh, the one on the Nintendo. Is the there Genesis? another version? The Genesis. Oh, how was that? Uh, you know, based on the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. They all stunk. Sure. So did the movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, ju- just so we don't uh, sound ignorant either, there are, it, although, yes, I agree, there, there's a lot of old school programmers coming back and developing for smaller devices. Jeff Mittner, Trip Hawkins, perfect examples. Big companies are also doing it too with this sort of retro feel. You saw it with Dark Void Zero. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Bethesda to help sell the Fallout game a new Vegas game in the Japanese market actually made an 8-bit or 16-bit JRPG hmm. uh, to tell the backstory, and uh, that was available over there. So bigger companies are doing it too. I think universally everyone understands that, yes, there's there's a lot of options and there's a lot of room for everything. So I don't think it's like a, an, a, I'm not, I don't want it to sound like, you know, it's the little guys that are, uh, are carrying the torch, even though they are. Bigger companies are very aware that there is a huge market for this type of game and they used to be called casual games Mm -hmm. but now that they're saturating the market and everyone's playing it yeah i think that label is uh is dead yeah are you worried that big companies will decide hey it's a lot cheaper to make a one screen game angry birds why put multi-million dollars into, you know, Killzone 5 when you can make Smiles HD? Well, maybe this is going to be the next cycle, you know? I mean, uh, the the cycle that we've been in has obviously been the first-person shooter cycle. I mean, those have been the biggest-selling games yeah. for the last couple of years. Maybe just through the digital distribution and obviously not small efforts, but the small... Uh, development teams you know on these games maybe that'll become the main focus for a while just like platformers were the main focus mm-hmm. back in the 90s etc you know maybe i mean like it'd be certainly interesting but uh, again it'll it'll die off and be replaced by something else in the or th- maybe we'll see history completely repeat itself which would be really neat to see where we'll see these these eight, again. <laughs> eight well no where we'll see these eight bitty games get more and more complex until we yeah. <laughs> ramp right back up to 3d first person shooters I think what you described is actually happening, though, now is that uh, pretty much every big third-party developer has some sort of division that's either dedicated to mobile games and or Mm. 
social media games because it is cheaper and the, the overhead and the profit margins make it incredibly appealing for them than it does to push out a title for 60 bucks that only a couple people buy because it doesn't have a Call of Duty or it doesn't have, mm. you know, an Uncharted or it doesn't have the A-list title that it needs to sell. So I think we're already there, brother. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that uh, first-person shooters of today and the culture showing them does become retro in a few years. So we'll hear on, you know, similar podcasts in the future, people going, oh, yeah, I went on there and uh, they were swearing at me and calling me homophobic insults, just like the old days. (laughs) (laughs) That will happen as generations go. Sure. But but we we are seeing uh, those problems. Uh, This topic's sort of jumping around a bit because one thing reminds me another. But when I mentioned the Rage HD, which is amazing 3D graphics on your iPad or your, I think that's also on the iPhone. I'm not sure if that's an Asterix game. I know that the Infinity Blade is, but you have to look at that game, and that game is nearly a gig. So you're downloading 750 megabytes to your portable device. (laughs) That's a lot different than downloading Angry Birds. Yes. And speaking of Angry Birds, I remember playing a very similar game like this. It was a mini game inside of Nintendo's Mario 64 for your DS, where you were shooting at the bomb bombs, the bomb, mm-hmm. the bomby things. I remember this too. Bob bombs uh, to protect Toad's four flowers. It's more like a uh, missile command, but it w- was using that slingshot technology with the touch. Right. And now we're seeing things that. I talked about that I would love to see. We saw this happen with what I mentioned before, the pack and jump. Just another skin on top of the uh, By the, the way, jump. I downloaded that and yeah. played it between when we talked and now. Yeah. And the art style you aptly described as LED Pac-Man. And for those familiar with Championship Edition 2 or eight, uh, DX or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's an option. You can actually turn that, oh, okay. this art style into that. And yes, this game is really fun. I'm co-signing it is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Well, when I, when we took that little musical break right before the council, I opened up the Galaga nice. episode. And that is amazing because you're mostly in just in outer space chomping the little um, dots. So it's very little platforms in that one, mostly uh, going up the dots, which I love. And it's very scary and fun. But now we're also seeing these skins put on the games like Angry Birds. WWE came out with a slingshot for their wrestlers because on one side of the, uh, and I know that Jaden would probably love to have talked about this, but after we got done with the last uh, bobble about portable gaming, I went to look at the, the horrible uh, WrestleMania King, of, I don't know what it was called, some horrible 3D game that they uh, re-released. And I saw that they have a, a WWE as a slingshot game and uh, it's much like the Angry Birds. Uh, you have one wrestler, he's on one side of the ring and you pull him back in the ropes you know, big show, this makes a lot of sense. Pull him back. On the other side of the ring, on the very, very other side of the ring is uh, another wrestler like the Undertaker and he's behind like this scaffolding building made out of like Lincoln Logs and uh, Rector sets and things like this and you're trying to knock down this house in front of the other wrestler which is exactly what every wrestling fan is looking for because everybody knows that in order for you to pin your opponent you must break down their house first 
As yes. long as they look like LJN uh, rubber action uh, figures from the 80s. Yeah, that would be great. Then I'm sold. Well, it's pixel, well, uh, it's pixel art. But it, here's you the know. thing, though, uh, to go back to 1996. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, to beat Brian Pillman, Steve Austin had to trash his house. So maybe that's what they're going for. <laughs> right in your house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the same time, I'm disgusted. It's exactly what I've been clamoring for all along. Why don't we have a pinball machine and then you put a movie on it? Or you put on. You put on. You know, like a halo pinball table and the call of duty for pinball table just puts new skins on these existing titles why not have angry gears of war birds why not would, shoot them out be, for rubber uh, bands something yeah that'd definitely be something <laughs> god of war would be great. another great one shoot him at the giant monsters on the other side god of pin <laughs> or that what would you like to I see got, i got the name i got the okay. name god of war pins of olympus <laughs> that sounds more like a bowling game but i'd go for that too where would you like to see this why go? not by the way what's that i can't answer why not i don't think john can either <laughs> you're asking why not yeah we don't know we have no idea it, yeah. it's a great idea uh call, and call cliffy b and ask him i will do that. War. i'm gonna do that right after i get off uh, this council okay so what would we like to see happen in the future what would we not like to see happen i'd like to see a, a continuation of uh, smaller challenging games small games that incorporate high scores making high scores mean something longer 8-bit style games like your super meat boy and i think that's definitely the direction that i'm enjoying and i hope it continues in that way what i don't want to see are more 8-bit 16-bit beat-em-ups where we dump a franchise into them Mm. because the beat-em-up genre in itself is pretty played out as we've discussed so to continuous continuously do that i think it's gonna really uh drain it for all it's worth and then something that is actually meaningful when it comes out will be ignored i just like to see people explore uh, different styles while they're uh, creating their games, you know, be it old school stuff or, you know, adapting old graphics to new concepts and stuff like that. I mean, uh, the cool thing about video games is it's relatively young medium. I mean, it's only been around since the 70s, I believe, or the late 60s. So, uh, I mean, in between, in that short period of time, there's been a lot of styles, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, why not have people who are trying to just create interactive entertainment why not uh just explore everything that's out there i mean why not do a 32-bit polygonal style game or why not do a you know an entire 2600 just basic blocky graphics game i mean it's all relevant all the time you know we're all still playing these older games mm -hmm. and uh, it's what's really cool because i mean like the history of our pastime is at our fingertips at, uh, whenever we, we want to, thanks to emulation, thanks to, you know, download services and all that. And, well, why not? I mean, it's, it's, it's all legal. It's all, I don't just keep going. I think that R-Type did it right. R-Type for the uh, Xbox Arcade. I really like how they did it. They have a 3D version of R-Type and R-Type 2, and you can also make a pixel. But the 3D version was really spot on and very aesthetically pleasing. I think games like like Capcom's Ghouls and Ghosts for the PSP, that polygonal look, like Rocket Knight, 
when they brought Rocket Knight back, to me, graphically, it was just a little disappointing. It was almost there. It almost had enough care. I loved how the backgrounds worked. I don't mind so much uh, maybe a, a 3D background happening with a more traditional 2D pixel on top of if you're going to do that type of action platforming game. But games like that on the PSP with the ghouls and ghosts, I wasn't wasn't crazy about that. I really didn't like the Ninja Turtles when they brought that back and it was just full 3D. I think if you're going to do things with polygons like that, I think you have to be very put more time into it than just making a regular polygon game where you just let the polys do what they want to do. If you're trying to re-emulate that stuff, I think you have to be uh, put a little more effort into it, like our Irem did with our type. What I'd really like to see is a game that never ends until you get to a kill screen or something. Why aren't we seeing these in our little 8-bit uh, or, or 16-bit arcade style games that we're getting for our iPads, where you just turn endless them over? Mode? Yeah, you just turn yeah. them over, turn them. Well, there are endless modes, but uh, you know that's more like a. Feature. I want that to right. be what they thought of when they were making a game. They just play oh, over and you. over and over and over again. You're right. like a Popeye or like a, a Pac-Man. Pac-Man turned it Donkey over. Donkey Kongs. Yeah. Until the system runs out of memory <laughs> in a couple years, <laughs> I guess, on our new systems. We've been playing yeah. for decades. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have that happen. I don't know. I, I would like to see that, that happen again. And maybe games built to take that into consideration. Uh, I guess now if you just put an algorithm in, it would just get so hard that no one would ever be able to beat it but i don't care hey let's keep going to pie you know what i mean sure there's some people that are bound to keep playing and playing and play well i think was that a portal 2 reference no i just uh, you know pie goes on forever and we cake. can make games that go on forever no <laughs> yeah. pi that, w- that would be cool yeah um, um I think we get that with our pinball games still, or or sports titles. You know, you can always play that, but more so, I think with the pinball, you keep trying to get higher and higher and higher score. And that's something we didn't bring up at all as well is is the pinball. Right now, who do we really have in the pinball playing field? One Zen developer, right? Yeah, yeah. Zen. It's like Zen competing against no one, <laughs> <laughs> much in the way that Stern is competing against themselves in physical pinball sure they're competing against the bank i'd love to see (laughs) (laughs) will will they go bankrupt yeah yeah i'd love to see uh, you know at least another company get involved with pinball games because it would it would benefit uh, all the video pin enthusiasts all right guys well uh, i'm satisfied are you satisfied square is my breast certainly yeah. all right guys well i'll talk to you in the next we talk games okay all right bye. see you then bye bye Hey, that's it. And you've got mail. You've got Uh-oh. mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. 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 See here. Uh-huh. Sony Online Entertainment. It looks like an official letter. It's on their uh, stationery. Here we go. Temporarily turned it off. There's no evidence that our main credit card database was compromised. It is a completely separate and secured environment. We have previously believed that SOE customer data had not been obtained in the cyber attacks on the company, but on May 1st, we concluded that the SOE account information may have been stolen, and we are notifying you as soon as possible. Okay, so they they finally notified us uh, several weeks after this occurred, as soon as possible. So if you're part of that Sony online community, make sure that you change your passwords if you use the same name and password for other accounts. And that's it, everybody. 
I had a great time, and I hope that you had a great time, too. Thank you, everybody, for making We Talk Games possible. Kyle Von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, 2PyR, Eric Alex, our own Stinky the Game Master, T.T. Schmookins, who's uh, absent once again for the entire episode except the beginning. Special thanks to Gaming Universe B. Without you, we wouldn't have had this show. And, of course, a special shout-out to the Nintendo 3DS. Be sure to tune in next time for another episode of We Talk Games. Bye now.